Hello and welcome to the MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. I'm Ben Hansen. Thank you for being here. I was, um, hey, story time, everybody. Hey, stop the podcast already. But I was editing The Deepest Dive on Chrono Cross, which is up now, the final part, our final discussion. I mean, it's three and a half hours for that final part alone, but it's a blast. Please check it out on YouTube and the Patreon exclusive podcast feed. The point is, I was watching and I was like, I don't like the way I shout at the start of all these videos. I think I'm trying to like set a tempo uh, and a voice level. And at times, I think it's grating. Like, Leo, do you think five years from now I'll look back at me screaming for the intro of a podcast and be annoyed? Uh, I certainly do that about myself. And I think there's something to trying to get people on board immediately. Right. People, uh, there's so much exciting things happening. There's so much going on that they can't possibly click away. But I think if you were to speak at a good pace with an ASMR style, like satisfying voice to listen to, pleasing voice to listen to, you might have even more success. That's right. Confidence and pleasing more so than just blah, 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 blah. We're on YouTube. You gotta hit subscribe, please. Um, yeah, okay, let's all work on our voices. Uh, so Leo Vader's here. Look, I freaking spoiled it. I'm sorry, everybody. We're also joined by Sarah Pazorski. Hello. Hey, what a voice. Hello. Wow, no, talk about pleasing. absolutely not. <laughs> We're also joined by Jeff Marquiafava. Hi. Oh, do you like the sound of your voice, Jeff? Um? I hate it. Do you really hate? I... <sighs> I have to tell myself, hey, it sounds different to other people because they've never heard what it sounds like in my head, so it's not as right. bad to them. But yeah. Right. But the bad news is if you go back and like watch a YouTube video, that actually is how it sounds to other people. Like that's like objective oh, no. proof that that is uh, definitively how it sounds. Uh, hey, welcome everybody. Thank you for being here. If you're watching on YouTube, you can always subscribe to the Next Show podcast on your favorite podcast app. It's free. This is a free show, everybody. We just toss it out every week for free, hoping that something will come back in return, but uh, not much. Thank you for being here. Uh, on this week's show, look, we're going to be talking about Rogue Legacy 2. We're going to be talking a little bit without spoilers about the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe. We're going to be talking a little bit about Nintendo Switch Sports. Yes, Jeff? Um... Yes, correct. Great. What's the MSRP on that? <laughs> I believe it's $59.99. Um, run, nice. don't walk to your nearest Walmart. Um, but we're also, because... It's the time to do it, everybody. We're also going to be talking about catching up on our backlogs, some games that we've always been meaning to play. That is the name of this episode, is we're going back, playing some games we've been meaning to get around to for a long time, or just filling a gap that we should have in our gaming repertoire. So we're going to go to some old classics, and we're all unpacking them and sharing our first impressions, technically, of these beloved, sometimes classic games. Um, so if you came here, expecting a bunch of discussion about Square Enix selling off uh, its Western Studios, Crystal Dynamics, the Tomb Raider IP, Deus Ex, Thief, all that stuff. Uh, we had that discussion elsewhere, so how dare you? We had that discussion on Party Chat, which is our Patreon-exclusive podcast. So you can check that out for a big whole discussion all about that. And a little tip, we put a public uh, version, like a public clip of that up on YouTube so you can get a taste of what Party Chat is like for free just by checking it out on YouTube. We'd appreciate that. Um, but hey! Backlogs. Um, is everybody kind of in this camp now? I feel I feel liberated after finishing Chrono Cross for the deepest dive. As much as I love that game and had a blast talking about it, I definitely feel like I, there's nothing huge on the horizon now. It's kind of a good time in the game industry to go back, unpack some things. Like, Sarah, you're still going through Elden Ring, right? I guess I am too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm still like... It's I've started to slow down a little bit, you know, and like take more breaks. So I'm it's not as like aggressive, but yeah, I'm right. like slowly working my way 
toward the end. It's about the journey, not the destination. Yeah. How's your game and landscape looking these days, Leo? Um, I'm really hyped for the Hitman 3 freelancer mode, of course. That roguey thing they're working on, but don't have a date for beyond spring. Oh, I don't think I know about this. How does that work? Oh, yeah. it's You've got an upgradable base, and it's like randomly generated uh, missions across all the locations in the game. And your weapons and stuff carry over. If you forget a sniper rifle on the level, you lose it. So when I've been playing that game the past few months, I've been like practicing, like how do I extract with all my stuff still? Because I'm need to going to need to know how to do that. That's amazing. Yeah, the post-launch support for Hitman 3 has been interesting where it seemed like a really good idea. Like it was early on where they're like, hey, we're going to have a whole season of content and it's all about the seven deadly sins. It's like, oh, that's a cool way to like package stuff. But then it's like, you know, four months in, it's like, Who's ready for sloth, everybody? It's like, eh, you know what? It's, it's not really that enticing beyond the initial reveal of, like, the theme, you know? Yes, but I will say that content is underrated. Maybe it's more expensive than people want, but those missions are cool. And oh, they have right. really weird, surreal cutscenes specific to each of them. I love it. Uh, so, hey, we're talking about games in our backlog, filling, filling a gap for something that we've never played before, but we probably should have to be more well-rounded gamers. And uh, Jeff, um, you were thinking hard about like, what game could I go to? What would be the interesting choice of something I've always been to play? And I knew that you had a PlayStation gap, which we all have had in our lives, but for PlayStation 1 and 2. So I was suggesting maybe like the Crash remakes of 1 through 3. And then you gave me the greatest message of all time on Slack where you said, Eureka, I've got it. And what is yes. the PlayStation game that you're going back to, dude? Uh, it was Shadow of the Colossus. I Which I, I got it. the remaster version for ps4 i think when we were well yeah when we were still at game informer yeah and it, i still had it in shrink wrap this entire time as oh like one God. of those things i gotta go to so finally cracked that puppy open and i am i am so excited playing i'm so excited for everybody's picks for games that they went back to but jeff i mean this is my favorite game of all time it's up there with top 57 I, I bounce back and forth all the time but i'm so curious so what was your experience with shadow Colossus before this you knew like the premise i'd imagine I, I knew the premise and I knew, and I'm a little confused about this now. Of, yeah. I knew what the kind of the overall general twist of it was. Okay, easy. Or like the, the revelation, I suppose. Huh, okay. Or, or at least that was, that was my impression of the game this entire time. Right. And, but when I started playing, it was like, well, there's no revelation here. This is pretty straightforward <laughs> in terms of what they're, and, and my... My wife was sitting next to me and she watched like the first five minutes and she was like, hey, is this that, you know, like blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, I think that's what was supposed to be the twist that we would get to. And I mean, I, I don't know if I think we can talk. It's not really a twist per se, but just I think the general wisdom is like, hey, you kind of feel like a jerk at times taking down these majestic mm -hmm. creatures. Yeah. Like That's the basic idea of the twist that you're calling it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I guess the impression I had over all these years is like. Some some at some point along the journey, you realize like, hey, I might be doing a bad thing here. And it's right and for me. Once I started playing it, I started wondering, like, well, was the original just kind of a little more subtle with it or did they like really lean into it for this? But like from from the first point, I was like, oh, I do not feel good about <laughs> this. This is this is a questionable choice. Yeah, it's it's an unbelievably faithful remake people have you know certain tidbits that they call out for like oh the lighting here is a little bit too clear and this and that but and you know i miss the original the grip meter 
was just like this awesome glowing, not glowing, but just a big pink circle in the UI that would get bigger and bigger as you upgrade. And I always loved that idea by the end of the game. It's just like, felt like a third of the screen was just a pink circle, which felt so <laughs> unique mixed with that world. And so like, that's my only small grievance really mm-hmm. with the remake. But what do you think of the game so far, man? Um, Uh-oh. I like it. Okay, kill it's... kill the podcast. End it. Freaking end it. We got a lot of... I, hey, I, Sarah, I feel, do you know I how this feel... whole thing operates? <laughs> I, feel, I feel really bad. Um, I've 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 gone through like five or six colossi at this point. Yeah, and I guess what what I what surprised me most about it was it it feels a lot more truncated than I guess it was than than it was going to be. Hmm. Like it was hmm. really like okay, you know, you're gonna you're gonna leave this massive temple. You're gonna hold your sword up, and it's gonna shine the direction that you're supposed to go. And that, and then you go out that way. But like every time I do that, it's like, oh, I've traveled for like thirty seconds, and here's the next big class. Like every class I has been in my backyard so far, hmm. and and you know each one takes like kind maybe a couple minutes, you know, like maybe ten minutes, hmm. and then I'm and then I'm immediately back there. And so I I guess I was just expecting more environmental exploration and puzzle. You know, like kind you don't of like puzzle just finding solving. lizards. You don't like chasing after little lizards. Yeah, it's the name of the Is game. Not I, I, for you? Like, 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 I, ha- I have enjoyed everything about it so far, and like, I can understand. Like, it is, it is a really cool experience to be climbing up these giant game or you know these giant colossi, and they did a really good job. Like, the fur just makes oh it look like God. I want to reach out and grab this thing, and climb on it. Um, and I, I like how unique they have all been so far, but it's. But I, I don't like. Is does do the, you know, like each level or you know, class I does it, does the experience get longer as you go? Because I feel like I'm like a third of the way through the game it already. Definitely in like one sitting. Yeah, they kind of get further and further out, and I think that's kind of the beauty of it. And one of the reasons I like it is just how kind of pure and simple it is. Don't expect like too many wild platforming sequences. But definitely in like the back half, there's some areas of like. Okay, my light's shining this way, but that is a blocked path. So how do okay, I turns out I have to go the long way around here, and I guess there's a new area down under this cave here. Um so there's a little bit more exploration there. But I wonder it's interesting to like go back to this game from you know 2005 design-wise, and just thinking about that idea of like, have we just been polluted by by gigantic open worlds? So you go into it expecting this to be the size of like Red Dead Redemption 2's world. It's like, oh no, this is this is a different generation, yeah. everybody. I, I mean, I, I guess I didn't, I wasn't expecting that in terms of open world, but I, it surprised me that it was really like, well, each Colossi is kind of its own level and you're yeah. really like, all you're doing is going from this temple to the Colossi, you're spending a couple minutes on it and then you're back and it's like, okay, time to do the next one. And I, it's, it's more just surprise really than like, it's, it's not like an over criticism or anything. It's just, I, it made me think oh, the scale of this game that I've been hearing about for so many years is actually much more focused and concise than I was kind of expecting. Well, you got to remember, we were all younger and smaller when we played this, so the scale is way yeah, up. Like, the Colossi sure, looked a lot sure bigger when you're 12, Looked I much think. bigger. The yeah. controllers were bigger in your hands, you know, it's, it was yeah. the whole thing. Everything was completely different. Um, I haven't played this game for probably about 10 years now. I loved it at the time. Do you feel like that t- type of design, that exploration you're doing, feels dated? Or just weird? Do you think it would be made differently nowadays? Um, I mean, it would probably be made differently. I, it's some places have been 
obtuse, but not to the point where I've had to look anything up yet. But but there have definitely been ones where I'm like, I don't I don't know how I'm supposed to get up on this guy. And mm. and honestly, did did they give you the clues in the original? Eventually, game? they might have changed the timing. I feel like, but the yeah, ti- the timing is already a little annoying, and because he'll start barking out like, "Hey, maybe." Maybe this is an important thing, and it's like, ah, don't tell me. But at the same time, it's it takes me like another five minutes before I figure out what he's even talking about. Right. So right. I, I don't know if I should just turn turn that stuff off and kind of live and breathe in the world a little bit more. But I Probably. I do I, I I do like I I like the design of it. I like that it is as focused and feels kind of that handcrafted as opposed to most open world games. It actually. And I apologize for bringing it up, but it does kind of remind me of Elden Ring in that way of like, yeah, in an open world game where areas are still really, really well crafted and have an intent behind them that you can see that the designers brought to it as opposed to just like, OK, here's a big, big place. Run around, I guess, if you want to. I mean, I, th- I don't think that's an accident. I mean, uh, Ryan Payton has talked about it. I know Miyazaki himself has talked about it, but just how influenced Miyazaki has been at From Software from Ueda's work that Eco was the game that made him want to become a game designer and obviously loving Shadow of the Colossus. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons I love Elden Ring. It's like, oh, it reminds me so much of Shadow of the Colossus just mm. roaming around this mysterious world on a horse. But yeah, I think about like the time and the place and how things have aged. I think now it, it has a beautiful design, but I think what was so amazing back in 2000, 2005 playing this game was think about like the average game. I know it's a tough sentence but the average game on the playstation 2 and just like how noisy it was like i automatically think of just ratchet and clank and the sequels think of just how many collectibles how many pop 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 pop, just throwing everything at you all the time numbers flying up i understand that's still a design sensibility these days but i just think when i think of the beauty of the shadow of the colossus i think of comparing it directly to like a ratchet and clank game which i also love mm-hmm. but it's like just going into this it just felt like some otherworldly thing like what do you mean they made a gigantic world and there's nothing in it except for some lizards and the ones with the white tails, I guess, give you a slight upgrade, uh, which, by the way, Jeff, you should check out those lizards with the white tails. I, but but I other than that, like known anything about the lizards, so they're very important. Um, yeah. But yeah, just imagine that, like in that era, going through the technical hurdles to get that up and running and then having the restraint as a designer to be like nothing. <laughs> there is nothing out there. You're missing the narrative point. It's all about you and these beasts and your relationship. It's a beautiful thing, yeah. man. Um, it's cool. Uh, yeah. People watching us live, the Backstage Pass uh, tier, they're asking what the best version to play is. I think the PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5 version, I think is, well, PlayStation 4 version, I guess technically, is is great. Um, if you really want to be really specific, uh, the PlayStation 3 version is more faithful um, with the colors and the lighting and all that stuff. It's not rebuilt visuals in the way that this one was. Um, so you can check that out. And if you have a 3D t- TV it's got to be cool to go back and play this game in 3D, which technically was an option if you want to want to be weird about it. Um, so if you really want to be specific, I remember playing that a little bit at the Gameformer office and having this big moment of like, oh, it's really cool, like fighting a Colossus. And then I remember Tim Turry was all about this too. And then like birds would fly in between you and the Colossus, like between the camera and you, I guess is a better way to put it. And like, that's just a weird thing. of like, oh, it's such a specific thing in 3D that I've never thought about while playing the base game. Um... Well, I hope you stick with it. Um, but Third Colossus, I think, is maybe my favorite out of the batch that you've played so far. He's the one with the sword on top of the pedestal. Um, and he, mm, like, slams yeah. the sword down and kind of shakes his armor off. He's just, oh, he's so tall and cool. Such a handsome bloke. Yeah. Yeah, that one, that one 
took a while for me to figure out because like, and, and I think that's, that's always one of the, one of the things I have very mixed feelings about because it's like, well, I don't want you to telegraph it. Like I eventually figured out, Hey, I should stand on this one big platform so that it doesn't go straight into the dirt and mm-hmm. get sunk, which doesn't actually do anything. And, and it took me probably an embarrassing amount of time to figure that out. But I appreciate the fact that I had to figure it out myself and you didn't have, you know, like big arrows pointing to it or whatever to, to signal that. Yeah. So do you think you'll stick with it? Yeah. I mean, I think at this point, like the smaller scope is working in its favor. Like if it, it feels very manageable, yeah. you know, I, I, like I, like I said, I think I'm already a third of the way through and that was like one play session. So I'm sure, I'm sure that will extend further as I go, but yeah, I want to keep playing it. It's doable. It's doable, man. Oh, stick with it. It'd be it's cool to, to check that off the list. Um, please report back. Um, Sarah Pizorski, Yes. How quickly did you know what game you're going to be playing for the big backlog journey? I didn't know what game I was going to play until Kyle like assigned me a game, essentially, <laughs> because it's like I have a huge backlog and like, I don't know, I kind of want to see what other people think I should be playing. Right, right. So I think first he tried to assign me Metal Gear Solid 2. Ooh, and then he was like, no, 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 no. He's like, he's like, he took pity on me and I maybe I didn't know it, but he, then he said I could play Metal Gear Solid, the twin snakes from the Nintendo GameCube. Yeah. And I was like, like, okay, like I'll give it a shot after only ever playing uh, Metal Gear Solid 5. I was like, how, how, how bad could it be? Hell you know, yes. How bad could it be? I love that. And I, I love the idea of you being confused about the lore of Metal Gear and then twin snakes jumping right in. How important was it that it was on the GameCube? Does it seem like a friendlier game to you because you have so much nostalgia about the GameCube? I don't, not necessarily. Of course, it, that doesn't make sense, Leo. What a stupid question. Come on, get your head in the <laughs> game. Come on. Lay up. <laughs> no, it's just you've, okay. So what's your experience then jumping into Twin Snakes? It, wow. What, and what an experience <laughs> the three hours that I played it for was. Yes. Um, I could not, in the beginning, you know how you're in that water? <laughs> yeah. It took me like 10 minutes to figure out how to get out of the water. Oh. Just floundering around. And it's like, if people keep calling me. And they're like, did you consider pressing the action button? And I'm like, where on the controller is the action button? And then I get out and they're like, hey, there's like a crouch button. And I'm like, where on the controller is the crouch button? And like, I didn't realize how privileged I was growing up to be able to see my objective in video games. Mm. Like to be able to see anything ever. I'm so privileged. I should check my privilege at the door. Couldn't see where I was going. That's right. Couldn't see what I was doing. Um, the controls were just Great. the definition of jank. <laughs> dare like, you. what is going on? What is this, on? a roast of Metal Gear Solid, the twin snakes there? Look. Yeah, my favorite part was the cutscenes. Yeah. Because that meant I didn't have to play the game. <laughs> now you're a Metal Gear fan. Yeah. <laughs> you truly <laughs> understand everything. Leo, have you played Metal Gear Solid 1 or Twin Snakes? No, my experience is playing through five, playing through Peace Walker, and the rest of them I just watched Giant Bombs playthroughs. Oh, that's right. That's so bizarre. Um, Okay, so the camera. That was the most frustrating thing, maybe? is just like that perspective of like the overhead thing? The camera was kind of, was like, I think you could play the entire thing just looking at the radar. Yeah, Because like the main game, I'm like, why why am I even using this? I'm a little white dot on a screen as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> and then also the buttons. Like sometimes you sometimes you had to press the action button to do something, but sometimes if you were in a different location, the action button to something else. Like it was overly complex having to open the button for the elevator, go in. Press the button to use the elevator. All right, Press all right. the floor if you're, you want it to oh, go Okay, if we're to. complaining about an elevator button, this is right out, Sarah. I'm sorry. A lot of complaints can be lobbed at Twin Snakes, but elevator buttons, right out the door. She's like, let me in the elevator. And then they're like, go up. Press the elevator button. Get in. Like, <laughs> unnecessarily complicated, thing. but you can't thing. even play the game. Like, what was the A button for? The A button was to shoot. That's not the action button. Why is Y the action button? If that's the action button. Why is it called the A button if it's not the action button? I have bad news for you, Sarah. This is actually the the better way to play Metal Gear Solid 1. This is them, like, streamlining the controls after Metal Gear Solid 2 came... Oh, or was it right before Metal Gear Solid 2? It was in that wheelhouse, but it was very much pitched as, like, we're bringing the quality of life from Metal Gear Solid 2 into Metal Gear Solid 1 on the Nintendo GameCube, everybody. Uh, so this was convenient. Like, being able to, like look in first person people kept saying that they were There's like a big deal you could aim your gun in first person and i'm like when i go into first person i can't move right. i'm standing here getting shot at and i can't and i have to aim with the control stick no right. aim no reticle just a little red line yeah look metal gear solid has never been about the ease of controls it's about the impactful narrative of solid snake being dragged yes. out of retirement he's no longer once again yeah, I don't know how many times this band's been and then they're like Sarah don't forget this is a different snake from Metal Gear Solid 5 and I'm like oh of course how how why would I forget that <laughs> that's it that's okay I'm fascinated so you went in expecting it to be like a snake a snake of course it's gonna be the same dude that I was no I never five. expected it to be snake a snake okay. if I've learned anything from Kojima yeah is that it's all made up and nothing really matters well, you can the say plot's about fiction. as convoluted as a Kingdom Hearts game. Well, look, you, you can just say go, go with the flow. All Shakespeare is made up. It doesn't really matter, I guess, if you want to take that line to everybody. Uh, did, did, was the story compelling at all to you? Did you have Shadow Moses, these terrorists that took over this island in the Alaskan archipelago? Come on! You know, I liked, I loved, I loved the cutscenes. People were like, "Oh yeah, everyone complained that it was too anime," and I'm like, "Well, I'm grateful that they're here because <laughs> I need something to fight for." <laughs> And those cutscenes were worth it. Every conversation was worth it. It's um, it's absurd. I um I it's saw. It's too bad that you have to play the game. Yeah, I, look, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Something's of age better than that. Um, but somebody shared a clip in the Minmax Discord of the scene where he started hitting on Mei Ling, <laughs> and you just could not handle it. Where he's like, oh, I didn't expect somebody to be so. Cute, Cute. <laughs> which which is so absurd because I've always been confused about the codec. Like, wait, he can't see them. I and there's that's a, what I was confused about too. But I was <laughs> like, there was so much else going on. And I don't want to spoil anything about Metal Gear Solid One, but there's also there's a character that disguises themselves for the codec, and it's it's like this big revelation. It always just makes me laugh. But like, wait, why are you doing this? Like, he can't see you. You don't need to wear this disguise physically. Um, the cutscenes are the big thing in Twin Snakes. Like, mm -hmm. I understand some people hated them, but they are just so over the top because they got—I mm -hmm. forget the director's name. I'm sorry, but they got an anime director to come in there and direct these cutscenes. So everyone is just needlessly long, needlessly absurd. Like the big memory I have is later on, you're fighting a helicopter on a roof, and they shoot a rocket at you, and then Snake jumps up and actually does a backflip by jumping off of the rocket while it's in midair. Oh my god! It's art it is absolutely it is. beautiful it's like it's one of it's a game that it's like i love to hate it okay 
Like, don't get me wrong. I I was having a horrible time um, <laughs> Damn the it, entire Sarah. time. Damn it. <laughs> but like, I just it's just so Kojima. He's never lost his sparkle. That's right. I got to watch somebody pee in a toilet. We got to objectify women. Like, it's Kojima. It, like it's Kojima. Like it was so <laughs> bizarre to see that he has never changed. The same things that I didn't like about Metal Gear Solid Five and I didn't like about Death Stranding were all there in Twin Snakes, and I was like, "This is incredible." <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a solid vision. It's called being an auteur, Sarah. You're not exactly. allowed to it, change. It was. It was crazy. I like. I wish I could finish it, but I just can't get past the controls. <sighs> okay. Like. Like I, I started crying. I had like a breakdown during the ocelot fight. Yeah, where you're chasing each other in a circle, <laughs> and literally you're chasing each other in a circle. And if you try to switch directions, he'll switch directions. Right. And you can infinitely chase each other in a circle, and you nobody gets to shoot the other person. Like that could you could do that for hours if you wanted to. It is funny the idea of like two of the greatest warriors on planet Earth get into a fight and they're just running just in circles chase, like toddlers playing playground. tag. It's the most. It's absurd. not like play tag. <laughs> That, I feel similarly about this franchise. I feel like the, the first one I tried was Metal Gear Solid 3, and I had that same, uh, like, moment of disparity where the intro cutscenes are like, you are the best uh, soldier on the planet of Earth, and that's why we're sending you into this. And then once you get your hands on that those controls, you, like, can't shoot anybody. Like, yeah. your aim sucks. It's like, I don't feel like the best soldier in the world. That's a bad Metal Gear Solid 5, I feel like you did, but that's why I didn't ever want to play those first three or four i just wanted to watch them that's a bummer because i was going to recommend if you played uh the kind of re-release of three that brings the camera down to like a third person perspective and it's like yeah there's still a lot of wonk and jank with the controls but just like camera wise that felt like a complete revolution at the time and all that i think that was the one i played oh damn it that's not a good (laughs) sign um somebody oh uh actually no i really quick wanted to say i feel similar about the franchise because despite not wanting to play it like that i am so glad it exists yes would never take it away from anyone it's such a weird unique thing oh big time uh star killer watching us live uh asked don't you dare ask sarah about meryl oh yeah do you have thoughts on our girl meryl sarah well it's like meryl's like don't worry snake i'm gonna disguise myself as a guard and snake is like meryl your thickum dump truck booty is gonna (laughs) alert the guards that you're a woman and they will not be able to resist and she's like don't worry snake i'm undercover and then she runs out and doesn't like zoom into her butt. And then she butt. runs it's out just... and the camera pans into her butt, her little thick um dump truck. So just to drive the point home that Meryl's got an ass. <laughs> yep. Uh, did you see? Don't, don't tell. Did you see the encounter of the guy with uh, diarrhea? No. Johnny? Not yet. In that area? Not yet. Okay. Well, stay tuned because there's, believe it or not. I don't not, know how I'm, I can, physically cannot get through this game. <laughs> and, and, so you stopped at the Vulcan Raven fight? In the I tank? did, yeah, yeah, after, okay. after I couldn't, I did not have the, apparently, the, the gear that senses the claymores. Right. I did not pick that up, and I didn't realize it, but I started drawing penises in the snow with my blood. Right. And I started yeah. picking up claymores, um, which got me through the fight. <laughs> That's good gaming. Um, mm-hmm. If anybody was confused about Solid it. Solid gaming moment. Play your way. Jeff, you've never played Metal Gear Solid 1, have you? You know, it's weird because every time I see video of it, like I remember parts as though I've played it, but I, I don't, I don't think I ever had. Oh God. All right. But, well. but there's, there's so much of it that I remember. Like I, I must have, I must have seen the beginning of the, like the first hour of that game 
multiple times because I remember so much about it. Interesting. But the first one I actually played, I think, was the one that came out on Xbox. The second S- one? Substance, yeah, was the re-release on Xbox then. Is that not that Subsistence? With Leo, don't be naive. Raiden? No, Metal Gear Solid 3 Subsistence was the re-release of 3, um, whereas Substance was the re-release of 2 that had skateboarding and all that fun stuff in it. And Everything then four subsistence. That's right. <laughs> Please don't forget. Uh, all right. Well, Sarah, God bless you for trying. I hope it was at least a fun stream and your community enjoyed watching you beat your head against My the wall. My community had a great time. <laughs> and you know what? At I the end of the day. I was suffering. <laughs> uh, well, hey, uh, speaking of freaking suffering. Uh, not the case because I jumped in for my old backlog game based on the episode we had a couple weeks ago uh, about the greatest games of all time that nobody talks about. And Sarah, the first one you volleyed out there was Gravity Rush 2 and people lit me up. I was roasted in the comments because apparently, and this is, this is unlike me. Apparently my first reaction was to laugh in your face mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> when you suggested yes, I, that. I had to, um, like, if I had a therapist, I would have told them about that. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> uh, so then everyone's like, yeah, Gravity Rush 2. Great call. Great call. Great call. Um, so finally dove in. I got it for 10 bucks on uh, PlayStation. I think now it's like 20, but there is a free demo if you want to go check it out. Um, I dove into it and I had this weird experience. I was like, why wasn't this on my radar at all? I feel like it was nowhere near my perception of gaming, of games released in 2017. And so I did a very dorky thing on the stream because uh, I streamed it. You can check out the archive, by the way, on our YouTube channel or on Twitch. But um, I did a dorky thing where I went back to the Game Informer Show podcast, which I was hosting at the time, to see, like, how dismissive was I when Serial was talking about this game on the podcast? Because I must not have been listening to him based on how cool of a game it is. And went back, checked it out. Uh, turns out we just never talked about it on the podcast. Like, I didn't even deem it worthy of getting a bullet point in our discussion at any point. And so I, I would like to officially apologize to Gravity Rush 2 because, Sarah, this game is freaking cool. Isn't it? It's like jumping in. It's like, oh, this is like a big PlayStation production that has mm-hmm. more style than any other first party PlayStation game on the PlayStation 4 generation. Like, it is unbelievable. It is nearing persona levels of style. Uh, just like the UI, how it like will transition into like um, story sequences, which are told kind of in a comic booky style, but the camera will mm-hmm. fly back out. The pause menu alone, any game that can sell you on a pause menu and the amount of style they pack in there, it should be more on our radar. Um, really, really cool. It's like, I understand it's not the biggest budget production, but still, I was just amazed. That it's like, oh, Sony was going for it and really funding such a weird idea with this game. And I regret not celebrating it more at the time. Um, so, the big thing, Gravity Rush 2, you can control gravity. Um, there's a little tutorial before you get up to that point. You're walking around this town, but even the town looks stylish. It kind of has like a Skies of Arcadia vibe and whatnot. Um, but then, when you actually get to control gravity, it's a weird version of flying that I'm really interested in, where it's not like free-flying controls. It's you are choosing an area and then launching yourself over there as if that is the center of gravity, and you can kind of steer a little bit, but then it gets crazy when you're going around in like bigger environments and you're like collecting different elements and stuff and you're like jumping onto it and they have this great animation of her like launching onto the element and popping it, getting the material, then like launching back off. Um, Sarah, this game's cool. Congratulations. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'm glad to know that that I was right all along. It turns out, yeah, you might have been right the whole time. Um, and there's like a fake French language uh, weaving together this narrative throughout the entire thing and it's all subtitled. It's just... 
It's freaking sweet. Um, the, the downside is it may be nauseated um, after a little bit, so I had to stop because it's a lot of the camera just like mm -hmm. flying all over the place as you're trying to bounce off all these different environments and fly around the world and all that stuff. But just the beginning I was sold on where in the beginning you're in like a Big Daddy style mech suit, Jeffem. I assume you haven't seen Gravity Rush 2, Jeffem? I was just watching a video of it. Well, there it is. Because, <laughs> but but no, I, I remember Serial always talking about it. Yeah. And we were all like, yeah, sure, Serial, whatever. But but I do remember that concept of like, yeah, you're not flying so much as kind of falling, I With guess. With style. Because you're just changing where the gravity is. That's a cool idea. Yeah, yeah. And so it starts out in the very opening of this game, and you're just like in this big mech suit, and then it shifts to like first person. I don't know if you remember this. And you're like walking through the sci-fi world where there's like storms everywhere, and you're going to mine these things and being lowered like through the clouds on this elevator and it's like just sci-fi world building it is so cool then it turns out surprise it's cat underneath the whole time cat the star of playstation all-star battle royale everybody um but it's really cool and you know people in the chat were, were lighting up and talking about this and i had no idea that the game's director uh was the one the developer who moved on after working on like the siren series and all this stuff but um, is now working on that new game called Slitterhead, and they formed Boca Game Studios. So especially after, like, you know, this made me a, bummed out to go back and play just knowing that, oh, yeah, that's right, uh, PlayStation shut, out their, shut down their Japanese studio. But a lot of the talent from Gravity Rush, including the director here, Toyama, went over, and now they're working on that horror game called Slitterhead because the director of Gravity Rush 2 was also the original director for Silent Hill 1. So it's just nice to have, like, a little... A better perspective on where that game's coming from and where that studio's coming from overall. Nice. Yeah. Leo, you, you have your eyes furrowed. I'm happy for you, man. Really? I Talking about Gravity Rush reminds me of seeing Gravity Rush 1 on Vita for the first time. And that was like seeing Super Mario 64 on DS levels of disbelief that they can do this on a handheld. Like exploring a big open world with a completely unique like locomotion mechanic that was so fun. Yeah. And the Vita had motion controls. You can kind of point the way you're falling. That's so cool. And everyone's saying that I guess it's a lot better in Gravity Rush 2 compared to that first one. But it's kind of, mm -hmm. it's a tough thing to like make smooth. It's naturally a little bit like, you know, the most disorienting parts of Super Mario Galaxy where it's like, okay, now I'm over here and the camera's trying to adjust. It's kind of a game all about that disorientation, you know, so it's a miracle they can pull it off as much as they did at least. Mm -hmm. um, it's a bummer that we'll probably never see it again. Um, but yeah, free demo. If you've never played it and you like style, go check it out on PlayStation. Yeah. And you don't need to play the first one. Yeah. You can start a Gravity Rush 2. You'll be just fine. Uh, hey, Leo, uh, for your game, hey. I was stunned that you never played this thing. But would you choose? I chose the original Deus Ex. I love that. Now, Mr. Stealth Boy himself, I know you got the tattoo and everything. You've never played the original Deus Ex? I never have. Not only Stealth Boy, but Immersive Sim Boy. Yes. <laughs> I feel like still in conversations about that genre, there's no new high watermark that people point to. It's still like Deus Ex is the pinnacle of these design concepts and so to a lot of people. Did you play um, Human Revolution, Mankind Divided, all that stuff? I did, I did. And yeah, there was an H-Bomber guy video in the last couple months comparing the new ones to the original and how they kind of fall flat design-wise, and that got me interested in revisiting it. Oh, interesting. Because it is, yeah, those games were pretty uh, sanitized for modern audiences. They were pretty... Right. Uh, streamlined it's what the rest of us would call playable yeah sure right 
But I was really impressed by going back to Deus Ex. I mean, obviously there's some stuff that's dated in the combat and things, but there were plenty of aspects to it that I felt like games have gone completely backwards on and games have not done better. Like what kind of stuff? Just the rewardingness of the exploration. Like there was a time where I hacked my way into this little side room, got an XP bonus for going in there, grabbed a couple things, went out, died, loaded my save, had to go back in there. And I found two more things than I found initially. Like I spent extra time searching and I found like, oh, there's something on top of these lockers. And oh, there's this code to get into the computer hidden underneath the bed. Stuff that's like actually hidden. You know, I'm so used to games these days. Like you walk into a room and everything in the room flies into you and you get it automatically. (laughs) But do you like have to really explore? And that becomes something that helps with the immersive aspect of it. Like the way it's laid out realistically. Spending a little extra time searching and finding like this, a 40 ounce bottle of malt liquor just on a stair somewhere. Just, oh, somebody left this here. Like that little piece of like world building. And plus it's a real item that you can grab and drink or throw and distract somebody with. There's so many interesting mechanics like that. The other aspect that impressed me was the hacking. It being built for PC, you actually having to type in your username and password. Oh, what? That's amazing. (laughs) Like you'll read in a document the login info for a nearby computer. But you'll actually have to type it in while the game keeps playing. So there's this one scenario where I was snuck into this room and I was underneath the security camera that was panning left to right across the whole room. And I saw that the security panel was across the room from me. So I looked up to see when the camera was about to turn left. And as it turned left, I like sprinted across the room, went into this keypad and like, (laughs) you know, typing of the dead, like a typing challenge, (laughs) having to enter this username and password as fast as possible. And I managed to do it. And once you get into it, like once you get into a terminal, you can see one to three cameras that are actually in-game live footage and you can move the cameras and zoom in and click on the that camera and disable the door lock in that area or turn off the camera or make the turrets target your enemies yeah stuff like that but like i've never seen that in a game since hacking into a camera and being able to move it and look around that's got to be a thing like watchdogs or something isn't it yeah but i mean not in like an immersive sim really not in like a Hacking, I guess, I guess Watch Dogs is the exception, but I was really impressed by that for such an old game. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I remember at the time, so they made, um, Iron Storm also made a port to PlayStation 2. And so I had the PlayStation version of Deus Ex, the PlayStation 2 version. And it was such a mind-blowing game back then because I remember even talking about it with my friends and like we were all in on RPGs at the time, like all in on JRPGs, you know? And so they have a game where it's like, oh no, it's kind of like an RPG, but it's also kind of like GoldenEye. I remember like my friends explaining it as, I was like, what? That sounds like the coolest thing ever. And that is what it is. And I mean, I it also made me way too nauseous back in the day. So it's really Gravity Rush 2 level tier. Um, but I maybe made it like five or so hours in and then, it just got a little bit too smart for me, but just like the realm of possibilities that it opened up compared to everything else in that era, and especially on the console, it was just like night and day. Like, you know, just think of how many things you can do in that game versus the average shooter on PlayStation 2. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, this is this is the only choice here. Yeah, finding augments where you can decide like whether you want it to give you more strength to pick up heavy objects or like more speed yes. to run faster. And stuff like... Those kinds of augments being completely missable, like 
hidden in corners of the environment that you might completely miss in that playthrough. And I really love the RPG aspects of it for how punishing it is, how it doesn't like make you be baseline good at everything. Right. You can choose to be trained in, you know, a weapon type or two as you're building your character. And the ones you aren't trained in, you will take them out and you have a giant crosshair that's like a third of the screen. And you have to sit there and wait like five to ten seconds for it to get smaller until it's actually the point where you could shoot somebody from more than three feet away. Oh, and it's wow. so like you can technically use those weapons, but you have to engineer a scenario for yourself where you have five to ten seconds where you're tensely waiting and hoping the guy doesn't see you as your crosshair gets smaller. Stuff that would never, ever make it into a game nowadays. Totally. But effectively makes you like love the weapons that you've specced into, like the weapons you're focusing on. You feel like that's really what my character is. And then if I have to do this, then I'm doing something that's like not in my character specialty. And that's super fun to me. Yeah. I know Warren Spector has been talking about this game for over 20 years now and, and whatnot, but I remember it was really cool um, back at Game Informer. He visited for Epic Mickey 2 coverage, maybe? I forget exactly when it was. Um, but he came to the office and we played on replay Deus Ex with him. And it was so fun just to have like, oh, director commentary for the opening section of Deus Ex. And I remember one thing that he's been asked a lot about, which is weird, is that it takes place in New York City. And in the opening area, you can see the New York City skyline behind you. And it's in the future. Um, and there's no Twin Towers there. And so everyone's always like, weird. Deus Ex predicted the Twin Towers were going down in 2001. Um, and he's like, no, it just turns out the artist just forgot to draw the Twin Towers for the New York City skyline. What are you going to do? Um, but you can check that out. I, looking at this footage right now for the video version of the podcast, I I think this is probably going to be remade. Like, especially now that Embracer owns Deus Ex. They bought it out from Square Enix. Like, if you think of having the Deus Ex license, what's the first thing a company like Embracer would want to do? It's probably do like a full remake of the original, right? Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, the only reason why I don't need one is because like modders have already done it. I ended up playing it with a kind of suite of mods called GMDX that modernizes it for resolutions and adds like weird quality of life features like hit indicators and a mantling animation. You can mantle up objects. Oh, which that's is such cool. a funny modern out of place touch. Yeah. In an old game like that. Awesome. But, I, I love that people have supported it in that way. And plus, here's a little tip. Yeah. I got the game on Steam, and then I got the modded version, and now I boot up the modded version, and I could play all the way through that, and it doesn't add up on my Steam playtime, and then I could get a refund in two weeks. Sweet! <laughs> <laughs> Do you think you're going to finish it? I'll definitely play more of it, no doubt. I, I've only been through the first two levels so far, but I already love how much there is that's not just the combat scenarios. You know I'm a sucker for a like fully realized building of employees that are doing their own thing and it's right right worthwhile to explore and that whole second level is like yeah there are no enemies here but there's still tons of satisfying little puzzles to solve and decisions to make with resources as far as what rooms to try and lock pick your way into yeah absolutely uh did you have thoughts on the um the square enix idea of selling all these pieces of ip outside of you know gex and pandemonium and your favorites but like it is crazy that like oh now embracer owns thief like they could do a new thief game if they really wanted to yeah i feel like it's time to give someone else a shot i have absolutely no problem with that yeah so you like the idea of consolidation oh <laughs> uh, yeah capitalism baby okay cool he Here said it <laughs> uh hey 
Speaking of capitalism, Rogue Legacy 2 is out, and you can buy it with your hard-earned dollars, everybody. Um, this is a game that was in early access for quite a while, but now it is fully good to go. Full 1.0 here. Um, you've been playing it, I think we probably talked about it, when it was still in early access, Leo, but um, I know you're a big fan of the original back from 2013, but uh, what do you think of Rogue Legacy 2 now that it's 1.0 is all hell? Um, I am into it. I was like, wow, short early access period. And then I realized, no, it's just two years flew by like it was nothing. <laughs> yeah, it turns out. Yeah, it's a weird two years. When I started playing Rogue Legacy 2 in 1.0, I was feeling a little like this is too much like the first one for me to really be blown away by it right. or in love with it. But as I am progressing further and getting the new classes, that's where I'm really falling in love with it is like how remarkably varied the later classes you're getting are. And you're unlocking them? Because it's what, randomizing you every time? This is a 2D roguelike, if you're not familiar with the original and all this. Um, but you're unlocking the classes as you go, or is it just randomizing you into a different class every time? You're unlocking different classes as you go that you will then be randomized into. Okay. Like, yeah, is, Rogue Legacy, I think, is famously like a roguelite with the most progression possible. Like, there are thousands of upgrades in here. So you're constantly getting new stuff, and every single run... You're just really chipping away at this giant like castle is the way it's laid out. Yeah, it's you're always it feels like progress is maybe a little slow, but you're always chipping away at something. Right. Is it fair to say that this kind of popularized the rogue light trend and idea like Jeff, I'm, you're, you're a historian. Does that seem about right? Um, I feel like there were more games that were also kind of falling into that category, but like Leo said, I, I think it really leaned into, hey, roguelites are, roguelikes are fun and all, but let's actually give you a bunch of progression so that you don't feel like you're starting from scratch every time. Right, right. And it's designed so that you can beat it at any skill level by putting a different amount of time into just upping your stats. Like, if you go to change your difficulty level, it gives you a heads up. Like, this is designed to be beaten by anybody. Because you can just, if you're not great at being the bosses, you can upgrade your health and attack a million times until he takes one hit and can't possibly kill you. That's you know, if fantastic. you just put in the time instead. Yeah, and that's awesome. They also have like a menu section of house rules where you can just like change a bunch of different stats and stuff of like, you know, enemies should have less health. I should have more health. We shouldn't, you know, like you can change a bunch of stuff. It really seems like they want to give you a lot of options you unlock one guy an architect who will just kind of free lock in the world for you so that i guess the dungeon will be the same every time you go in so you can just progress through it oh the that's entire cool time. yeah there i i have been impressed by i i had very similar thoughts to leo in terms of when i first started it, it was like okay well this feels a lot like what i liked about rogue legacy but very similar and then it was like oh, okay this is a smart addition this is a smart thing that i un just unlocked i like the whole you have like armor system where you're you're bringing back blueprints and you're paying a blacksmith to build them but then you always have them like even after you die you can put them on your next character as well and kind of switch between like an entire arsenal and armory of different stuff that you've built outside of the you know core loop so all of that stuff is really appealing to me for a roguelike yeah for someone who likes roguelikes but i guess doesn't fully like them i like having larger progression that feeds into them yeah sarah you're you're a hard pass on this i mean i think if there was a rogue like game that i would play it would be like either like you know rogue legacy is like a really good one 
I feel like I could get through it. I don't yeah. think I would get the same enjoyment of like the small amounts of progression that other people do. But the game does a really good job of like keeping you interested with like, you know, every time it's a new class, every time it's new items. I think it's really well made. Yeah. Cause you and you're constantly discovering new traits on characters. Like it's rolling an interesting type of guy you've never played before. And I like the way it does traits and cursed relics and stuff where the first time you encounter something, it's a bunch of question marks and it says you're going to have to take this character or this item to find out what this is. And that's like another way of progression really is kind of filling out all the information you have on all the different things in the game. Yeah. I need to, I need to find time to play roguelike. Yeah. And, too. and they also have like set, um, like quest challenges inside of it where if you get through the the dungeon it will kind of randomly pop up whether it's in your castle or not but once you get through it you will just unlock a new ability like i unlocked an air dash and so now all of my characters will always have air dash which just feels super good to unlock those kind of things again it kind of goes against the roguelike mentality but for the better i think it yeah. is, yeah, it's it's part roguelike, part Metroid, you know, there really are a lot of abilities in this game, and you are gated out of a lot of worlds just because you don't have the ability yet. I'm trying to get a sense, I mean, is this um, one of the best games of the year that each of you have played? I know it's it's maybe early to, to make that call to all that stuff, but I'm trying to get a sense of like, oh, is this just a really good roguelike, or is this like, no, this is Dead Cells level, we're going to be talking about this at the end of the year, it's, it's stunning. I can see it being my number nine or so. Okay. I feel like it being... Similar to the first one in so many ways has prevented me from really falling in love with it. Right. It's not really blowing my mind, but it is really solid. And again, each run is fun because of how much variety there is. Yeah, it's interesting to think about sequels to, to rogue games because I, I feel like you kind of had a similar reaction. It seems like you're hotter on this than it, but you had a similar reaction to like Spelunky 2. You know, where it's like, I think just it's tough to make a sequel to a rogue game, isn't it? I was definitely thinking about that. Yeah, Spelunky 2 succeeded because it changed enough small things that it gave you the experience of playing Spelunky 1 again if you had already mastered Spelunky 1 or played a ton of it. And this one, yeah, I feel like it's a little more refinement than little tweaks for the sake of difference than that. Yeah, yeah. Rogue Legacy 2, it's on PC and on Xbox just for now, but we'll see eventually when it comes to everything because it seems like a, hey, believe it or not, everybody, this seems like a good Switch game. Let's put it on a Switch. Uh, Hey, Jeffum. Look, you don't. Leo's gonna scream if you start walking through the basics of everything about this thing. But just tell me your journey with Nintendo Switch Sports, please. I just my best case scenario is you had a, you had a frolicking time with your family. Just anything to just wipe that disgusted look off Leo's face by talking about this new Nintendo Switch release. Yeah, uh, I. Well, I guess I didn't sit down. I stood up with my wife yesterday, and we played. You stood up, your wife. All of the- that's I not, stood up with my wife a joke. and we, she didn't want to. She was like, can't I just play this sitting on the couch? And I was like, no, <laughs> obviously not. <laughs> Are you going to swing your sword on the couch? We were like, get uh, up, and get we, up. We're playing Switch right. sports. We're having fun. We, we played through um, all of them except for soccer because soccer requires two controllers for each person. And I'm, I don't have extra Joy-Cons lying around. What am I made of Joy-Cons? Hey. Uh, but we we played through the rest of them, and I guess it really depends on how much you want Wii Bowling, is what it comes down to. <laughs> oh, my like, God. Like, the bowling still works. They, they still manage to simplify the bowling. I wouldn't say it's as good as Wii Bowling. Oh, really? But it's, but it's solid. Well, they... 
the change that they made to it is you in in the original Wii bowling as we all know when you rolled the ball you would let go of the trigger when you wanted to release the ball right right mm-hmm. but here you you just keep on holding the trigger i'm sure they realized hey this is why people are throwing their Wii motes through their televisions so you're just going to have a death grip on it the entire time <laughs> and so you 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 know just make the motion and it and it still controls fine but it's it's just that i like it didn't need to be any simpler than it already was, but they really <laughs> simplified like every game across the board to make it as easy as possible. And the bowling still feels like bowling, so that's definitely the best one. And even today, my wife was like, "Hey, I'd play more bowling." Hey, but every other game, every other game that we played, it was like you play through it once, and you know that's good. That's good enough. And I don't understand why we needed badminton, tennis, and volleyball, which all control very similarly. And it's all basically like the same sport, essentially. You're just hitting a thing over a net back and forth. I'm disgusted again. Yeah, how dare yeah. you insult just the core of sports by attacking those three. Do you, uh, There's like sword stuff. That seems fun. Like that was always fun in Wii Sports Resort. That sword stuff was amazing in that game. Yeah. Maybe maybe you guys will get more more out of it. I mean, it's it's fine. You know, it's sure. you're either blocking, you're blocking in a direction or you're hitting the other person in a direction. We played a couple matches of that and it was I was ready to move Jeff, on. Jeff, you'd bowl. be the worst narrator for like a documentary on medieval battles. It's fine. I guess there's thousands of people and they're like blocking in a direction or they're slicing in a direction and then it's and then well, somebody there's not thousands of people, Hanson. <laughs> it's so. two people with nerf swords. The way you just all kind battle of, should you know, be is there a single player component to that? Because the most fun part of Wii Sports Resort was marching through a oh, thousand yeah. AI people on the cliffside, striking them uh, down. I, I didn't check if there was or not. In this, you're on a little platform. And so when you're hitting people, right. you're kind yeah. of, you can also bounce them off the platform. But that sounds cute. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's a treasure trove of content in single player that I didn't see, but. I have a question, Jeff. Um, yes, Hanson. Um, did you think the new little avatars are cute, and was it worth throwing the Mies into the garbage behind the house God, for? That's that's another weird weird thing about like, sure, they're very cute. They they look better than Mies, but you have so few options that it's confusing. Like, <laughs> like you like there are so many, and I, I I am assuming that you will unlock more options the more that you play or something because I didn't see anything like that because they have two categories of like hey here's hats and accessories and here's masks is another category but there's nothing in either of them and you you have like one like outfit that you can choose from and like maybe five hairstyles or something it it's so pared down that it's like well you've lost the fun of making a character that kind of looks like you that you can then play through these things with well that's on you dude you should look more like the new nintendo avatars you should really you can go into your Just bathroom and change your appearance <laughs> in your house uh, hey. i'll have i'll have to try it yeah Abigail Warner has a question for you, uh, Jeff. Um, uh, sure. She wrote in over on Patreon. She says, hey, over the weekend I play a bunch of Switch sports with my niece and nephew and we had a lot of fun, but I couldn't help thinking about what I would like Nintendo to add to the game. I'd love to see them take advantage of the leg strap and add things like running and jumping over hurdles. I also think basketball could be fun. My niece said she would like them to add karate or kickboxing. That sounds great. Um, what would you all like to see added? I know they're going to add, yeah, what, golf later? 
um, all that fun stuff. That's so. great to hear. I was I was wondering why golf wasn't it when I was thinking about it in terms of Wii Sports because they're they're not you know like obviously the production values are better here, but I was wondering what was missing, and it's it's like it's that variety of. All of those, with maybe the exception of boxing, were fun back in the day. Like, right, right. I miss the, you know, like the home run challenge is just a very simple thing that translates really well to this kind this level of accuracy for motion controls. I miss the golf because of that. Like, I would like more of those kind of things. It, it doesn't it doesn't have to be a, you know, like a full big sport like yeah, yeah give me just you know like a free throw challenge or something that has just enough you know accuracy that it kind of mimics that one specific thing that you're doing i will say i, I i'm kind of interested in that soccer did you have like strapping a joy con to your leg and then kicking in kind of this like rocket league style gameplay it sounds kind of good it, that might be one yeah the there's a problem if you're buying it digitally i think is they don't give you a leg a leg strap over the eShop. Well, there's a little thing. Tape. Yeah, just freaking duct tape that Joy-Con to your leg. You want to be a gamer or not, <laughs> dude? I guess uh, so. There we go. Nintendo Switch Sports. $59.99, everybody. You can check it out at a store near you. U.S.? Uh, U.S. dollars. It's only dollars as far as I'm concerned. Uh, hey, uh, there's a game that released last week, uh, the day that we're recording the podcast last week. Uh, the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe. Leo, did you get a chance to play it? Did anybody else get a chance to play this thing? I like the original, but no. Okay. What is your perception of this based on your love of the original, Leo? Um, People say it's a surprising amount of new content. Good. It's exciting to me. I like that they updated the achievement for don't play Stanley Parable for five years to don't play it for 10 years. Yes, that's exactly it. Oh, by the way, hey, oh, stop the podcast. Course correction. Apparently, it's forty nine ninety nine. <laughs> For that, that Nintendo game. <laughs> the joke we've had for two weeks running now is completely off, it turns out. Um, yeah, it was a joke. It was a joke. We're joking. <laughs> oh, yeah, my math wasn't accurate in comedy. Boo-hoo. It's funnier if it's $59.99. <laughs> um, but anyways, the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe. Uh, the Stanley Parable is one of my favorite games of all time. Um, loved the mod. Then it released as a real thing in 2013. Um, and this is the Ultra Deluxe version, which has been years in the making. Um it's a tough thing to talk about without spoiling, and we're going to get into spoilers at some point here on Minimax's channel, um, so please stay tuned for all that, because there's uh, a lot to unpack here in an interesting way. But if you've never played the Stanley Parable, or if you've played the Stanley Parable and you enjoyed it, everybody should check out the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe. Like, if you love, look, uh, if you love the beginner's guide, obviously, that's kind of a... Uh, in the family, right? So that's natural. Um, and also Jacob Geller, one of his favorite games of all time. But even if you like not the puzzle-solving aspect, but just kind of the comedy of Portal, the just absurd first-person storytelling, let's see how wild this game can get, um, that feels very much like the Stanley Parable. And Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe, yes, there is a surprising amount of new content in there. It's a little bit confusing. Like, I was streaming it, so starting out, it was a lot of, like, Where's the new stuff? Is this just going to be new endings peppered in here? And somebody on Twitch just said, you'll know it when you hit it. Um, and that is the best advice that I could get. It's like, yep, just relax, play the game. You will know it when you hit it. Um, it is excellent. It's the be most I can say without spoiling anything about everything that's in the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe is it's very aware of what it is. 
It is aware of the fact that it is called the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe and it's releasing this many years after the original and all expectations with that. And it still manages to be very, very surprising uh, along the way. But yeah, I, it's one of my favorite experiences so far this year. Uh, it's it's a very, very cool thing. I don't I don't want to overhype it. You know, it's not don't expect that Secret is going to open up and oh, it's like they packed like Portal 3 in there or some nonsense. But like it's just if you love just the surprising experience that the original Stanley Parable gave you, it's that and then a whole lot more. And it's just it's just a cool thing to experience. Do you think at the end of the year we'll be having a conversation about whether it should be included? Um, I think it will be, 10, I think it'll be included. Tens? Yeah, uh, I, I would argue that it deserves a spot on that list that it's not it's not a remaster it's the stanley parable ultra deluxe everybody it has some very very fun ideas in it um sarah have you ever played the stanley parable i have not sarah i think you'd have a good time it's on my backlog it's on the list i think you'd have a really good time streaming this one in particular like i will i definitely have all intentions to stream this within like the next two weeks yeah but like elden ring is like was fun and now it's turning into like this giant blocker on my calendar i'm right. like hey we got a bottleneck here like we they've got a blocker <laughs> we got some red tape we got to do something about this like yeah are, are people i know this is absurd to say about the, the best game of the year in a game i'm looking forward to going back and, and finishing here but do you feel like um people on twitch are calming down about elden ring now is it still a red hot fervor every time you play it about people uh, who are like oh you gotta I do this gotta do this fast ah, so exciting People are still enjoying it, yeah. but like it's getting to the point where like people will come into my chat and then they'll be like, "Is this your first playthrough, or are you on your like fifth playthrough?" And I'm like, "Oh my god!" Like right, people right. are lapping me. Oh yeah, people are lapping us, Ben. Yes, they're lapping us. They're on like second games, third games. And you know what they say when they lap you, they laugh at you, and we don't we don't want to stand for them. Um, all right, everybody. Hey. Here's a message for you. Did you know that if you enjoy this show, you can support the show directly, more directly than most other podcasts out there by going to patreon.com slash minmax with two N's. Help spread the word. Help us grow. We appreciate it. Thank you to some of our biggest supporters, uh, including not a conventional supporter, but this is a fun little announcement for everybody, is that we're doing a giveaway for Grids products. Do you know Grid Studios? Well, you're about to. You've probably seen them. They take handheld devices. So they have like the Vita, the Game Boy, Game Boy Pocket, Game Boy Advance, Game Gear, Nintendo DS Lite, PSP, DualShock 4, which is a weird one, the iPhone, different versions of the iPhone. They take these handheld devices and then they tear them apart and frame them so you can look at the guts of your favorites. And so they shipped out a Game Gear, which is a very important old chunky handheld that I used to love. Uh, And it's just a nice little frame piece. And... They're giving one of these away to the MinMax community. You can choose which handheld you want. Uh, and this is all on our Twitter account. So give us a follow at MinMax Show on Thursday, which is going to be uh, May 5th. We're going to have a very simple contest. Just retweet the tweet. Give us a follow on Twitter and you then can choose one of those and they'll ship it out to you. So hope uh, you enjoy that and any help spreading the word about that's appreciated and the contest will be over on Monday. So if you're listening to this or watching this a little bit late, uh, you're not too late. Just go in there and find that tweet and you can win one of those. Uh, and it's a very cool thing. So thanks to Grid Studios for shipping that out. Uh, cool. Also, thank you to our dear friends over at I Am 8-Bit. They want everybody to know about uh, the Eastward Limited Edition board game. It's a two to four player co-op game based on the indie RPG. There is also the vinyl soundtrack, which in and of itself is another tabletop game that you can play. Uh, it is It has first-of-its-kind packaging for both versions, featuring the official Eastward board game is the way they describe it. It includes the fold-out board, 15-foot cards, 
food cards, I should say, <laughs> 10 item cards, miasma cards, all that fun stuff. Uh, so you can check that out, help support them creating cool content like a video or a tabletop adaptation of Eastward. And you can go to iMapit's wonderful online store and you can use a promo code for 10% off everything under $100. And the promo code this month is mayonnaise. So look up how to spell mayonnaise and then use that in i8bit's wonderful online store uh, and you can get 10% off everything. Jeffem, could you spell mayonnaise without Googling it right now? Absolutely Hands in the air. Not. Okay, great. Nope. I, I also nope. could not. No one can on I earth try? can. Uh, yeah, go for it, man. M-A-Y-O-N-N-A-I-S-E. Leo Vader, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Two wins in honor of MinMax. Killing it, buddy. Uh, but... Please help support iMateBit because they are so wonderful to us and our community because each and every week they ship out a prize from their wonderful online store. And this week, it is such a freaking good one, everybody. Uh, this week, to the person that submitted the best question over on Patreon, iMateBit will ship out Grim Fandango, the physical version for Nintendo Switch. I, I don't even own this. It's one of my favorite games of all time, and I would love to own the Nintendo Switch version. I don't have it. I'm jealous. And I maybe will just ship it out to whoever submitted the best question. So the way this works, everybody, if you head over to patreon.com slash minmax with two ends, support us at the $2 tier even, just $2, you can make a little question or a big question every single week. Uh, just just reply a little. We have a post every week. You reply to that with a question. We include it in the show. We choose our favorite, and then you get shipped a wonderful prize. That's an easy deal. Um, so more than we've ever focused on it before, we all need to look alive and remember each of these questions to make sure the most worthy person wins Grim Fandango on the Nintendo Switch. Um, all right, here we go. Grizzled Gaming writes in and says, Hey, everybody. Uh, it's been a while, but tell Jeff um, that Grizzled Gaming says hello. Hi. He says he'll know what it means. I think most of us know what hello means. Um, anyways, Grizzled Pretty says, hey, too. <laughs> so when a new release or a big game uh, you haven't played gets added to Xbox Game Pass, does it add to your backlog anxiety? Or is it just me? Does Game Pass count as kind of a soft backlog for everybody? I've never really thought of it that way. To me, it's like a flag that like this game has been out long enough that now it's on Game Pass and I'm like it's been that long that now I can like play it on Game Pass cuz usually it's like you know a couple of years at least right and then you don't know when they're going to take it off mhm that is games fall off too no i mean you might they might tell you they but do. like sometimes they'll just disappear i think like final fantasy 12 was up there for a while and i was like oh i really want to play that and i don't know if it's still there anymore yeah, but by, it does by add the time to they panic. tell you, it's like too late to start. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're not going to start a big game like that. But yeah, they, they usually tweet it out like, oh, game's being removed from Xbox Game Pass this month and, month and stuff like that. I guess I feel more anxiety about that idea for backloggy stuff about like PlayStation Plus games, you know, where it's like, okay, I need to make sure that I go in there and add this to my account instead of like a naturally evolving one that actually takes some effort to be like, I will now claim Lego Batman 3. And now I feel that pressure of like, well, I said I wanted it. So now you better boot up Lego <laughs> Batman 3 at some point. But look, we're, we're only human. They're checking your account, Hanson. Batman is? Sony is. Every time every time you take one of those games, oh. they're checking do to you, make sure you play it. Do you think people would pay three extra dollars a month for a PlayStation Plus that automatically adds the games to your library? I think they would. I think that's one of the tiers they just debuted with Project Spartacus, that whole thing. Yeah. The Lazy Man's Edition. Yeah. Um, Jeff, you seem like the most clued in on Game Pass. Do you, do you get that uh, anxiety about the backlog there? No. Like Sarah said, the anxiety for me is 
okay, this thing is eventually going to leave now. And mm-hmm. so if it is something that I wanted to play, then I should probably play it, but I still won't. Yeah. I'll just feel more anxiety about it till it goes away. That's it. Then we'll all explode and die. Um, Rigoberto Hernandez writes in and says, I got my Steam Deck last week and I've already beaten two games that were in my Steam slash Epic Games backlog that I never once touched when I originally bought them. I even installed some Linux apps on it to stream my PlayStation games, which made me feel accomplished. This thing feels like a little miracle. Are handhelds the answer to backlogs? Because they are to me. I think there's something there. Yeah, Yeah, handhelds are the answer to playing lots of games a lot more than you would if you have like a family that you can't be hogging the TV the entire time by yourself. Right, right. Okay. Sarah, you seem flummoxed. For me, it's a time thing. Having something on a handheld versus having something on a PC, I still don't have time to play either, so I don't think the handheld would work for me unless I was like traveling heavily, which I am not at this time. So (laughs) having it on a handheld just means I could play it on my couch. But yeah. the time would yeah. still be there. The time to have to play it would still have to exist. Yeah, handhelds plus being in a hotel room. So that's that's a sweet spot. Yeah, Jeff, you uh, you borrowed that uh, that Steam Deck. Yeah, What'd that's you think why I played Rogue Legacy Two on. Oh, oh, that's beautiful. That's, and that's like a great why one for I that. put so many hours into it. I think because it's it's just much more convenient when you have a kid running around who wants to watch Mr. Monkey as we talked about. Uh, yeah. On, on party chat, we talked all about uh, Jeff Hub's kids, favorite shows. Um, that's nice. So, I mean, do you think that you'd use a steam deck regularly just cause like the yeah. kid thing? Yeah. I think it's, it, it's the exact same appeal as the switch, except it can play more stuff. Basically. That's it. You um, get the idea. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Darwin writes in and says, Hey, how does your non video game backlog look? Any books, board games or movies you need to get to? I looked at my board game shelf and I have a handful of games that are still sealed. Uh, and I still have pandemic legacy, a legacy season to finish up. Oh my God. Thank you for reminding me. I, we're halfway through a pandemic legacy season and we just kind of let it sit. Anyways, uh, I've also got a bunch of Kurosawa criterion Blu-rays. I've been meaning to watch. Um, yeah, Jeff, how many of those tabletop games behind you have you, have you played here? Oh, way too many. And when I read this question, I what I didn't even think of board games, and that just completely <laughs> terrifies me. That's um, the most devastating yeah, one. Way, way too many. And in terms of other media, I was going to say um, I want to watch. I want to watch Severance, which we talked about the other day. Mm-hmm. And there, I, there have been a couple series added to, like extra seasons added to Netflix of like Russian Doll and stuff like Ooh, that. Oh yeah, that's right. Want to get to? Uh, it's okay. You never will. Um, the, the probably not. The tabletop thing, I have had a copy of a tabletop game called The Adventurers that I think Matt Miller gave me about six years ago. And even now that I consider myself like a relatively hardcore tabletop gamer, like I've got an overflowing shelf, I need to get a super expanded one like you, Jeff. I still, it's so bizarre to me that it's like, yeah, I've been meaning to play that game for now about six years and just have never gotten to it. I don't think there's anything more intimidating in a backlog to start than a board game because it's not like... Mm -hmm. It's more like writing a book than reading a book, you know? <laughs> it's like, I'm going to have to put a lot of effort into figuring this out and teaching myself this before it starts to become fun. Right, right. Yeah, you, you got to get a group together most of the time and that, you know, like you have, it's such a small window. You you realize once you start collecting board games, it take, there's like a delay there before you realize like, 
Oh, just based on the sheer number of games that I can actually get to the table, like I already have way too many games than I'm ever going to actually like it would take me years, even if I was just playing them with just my wife, which we can get games, you know, to the table a lot more often. But if I want to get if I want to play games with bigger groups, like I've started to ignore games that it's like a minimum of three players or more. Like if it's if it's not a party game, like I'm just not. I'm not adding that because it's just going to sit behind me on that giant intimidating or, wall. Or you can make it like a better quest goal to be more social. Nah. I could. Okay. All right. Once once there's once the pandemic's over. Oh, well, that's never going to happen, kid, Jeff. Um, my kid can get a vaccine. I guess okay. that's like the the other benchmark for it. Yeah. Speaking uh, of which, speaking but you of, won't allow it. <laughs> That's right. Once yes, I've changed say, my no, mind. You can't, you can't get it. I have too many games. <laughs> I don't want to socialize. Too monumental of a task, yeah. Uh, but speaking of great two-player games, you played that uh, Dust Spiders yet there, Jeff? I haven't. You it's dirty okay. dog! It's the greatest <laughs> two-player game. It's right there, you maniac. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that's like the next one. Yes. I promise. Um, yeah, I got a backlog. Uh, like movies in particular, I have... Here's my little iPhone note with all of the movies that are on my backlog. Oh, now that I'm scrolling through it, I realize it's a lot more than I thought. But I have it, like, organized for, like, these are movies to watch next time Dan Reichert's in town. Like, oh, we got to watch Sam Raimi's Quick and the Dead. I got to remember to watch that with Dan. Uh, or I've You nev- have them, like, listed, like, for Dan with Dan. Yeah. Yep, and I have, like, my fiancé movies that are that contenders so for cute. us. And then I have, like, we're going to try and watch a movie every week um, on, like, a projector outside. It's just, like, a normal hangout session going with folks and so i have like okay these are good projector movies okay we got to watch raising arizona on the projector evil dead 2 on the projector once upon a time in mexico and then these are like the other movies that i should watch at some point in my life this smart stuff that i'm never going to get to but realistically i should look i'm never going to watch thx 1138 i'm just i'm going to delete that right now because there's no tuesday where that's going to be a good idea to watch that by myself um how's everybody else doing on backlog stuff I think a lot of TV shows started uh, at the same time, and that's going to uh, back me up a little bit. Barry and Better Call Saul going simultaneously. Yeah. I Here's here's the curse, though, Leo. You could just not watch those, but then you'll be cursed with everybody telling you at all times that those are the two greatest shows, and you are objectively an idiot for watch, not watching it. But if you, just, if you can withstand that, then you have a lot of free time. Yeah. I also don't even like love them that much. Really? So I really could free myself of that. <laughs> That's burden. interesting. They're both right on the line of like, I do want to see what happens. Okay. All right. That's all you need, I guess. Yeah. Um, is Sarah, your life is perfect or? No, I would say my biggest backlog is books because like TV shows and movies I can watch while I do something else. So that's fine. But like, you can't really do anything else when you read a book. So you have to have it like, you'd be like, okay. You have to go in and you're like, I'm just going to read this book that I've been meaning to read. And then I have an issue where I find it hard to put books down. So then you find me up at like 5 a.m. like a gremlin, <laughs> like, grip, like death gripping my Kindle, like trying to get through a book. And it's it's, it's dangerous. Yeah, I get it. It's It just it feels like such a commitment. It's a little bit of that. Yeah. Board game arena, I guess, level of commitment. Like if you get sucked in, you really get sucked in. Mm-hmm. And then you feel guilty for ignoring your precious video games. Um, Luke Strain writes in, says, now that Embracer Group owns Square's Western Studio IPs and Asmodee's uh, Fantasy Flight games, I eagerly wait the Deus Ex cross Twilight Imperium crossover immersive sim. That's a good idea. 
full disclosure, as my day has supported us on the podcast. Um, anyways, are there any board games slash video game crossovers you think would be fun? Or is Shotgun King the best we're going to get? What is Shotgun King? Does anybody know what that is? I have no That's clue for you. That are a king with a shotgun against all the other chess pieces, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I think it's pretty new. Um, I know this is like a joke or something everybody said like eight months ago when it was revealed or whatever, but I was in a tabletop store recently and I saw on the shelf and I couldn't take my eyes off it that idea of the Queen's Gambit board game. Has anybody yeah. else seen this? Or it's just like, it's not chess. It's like, here's a bunch of very custom chess scenarios and you guess you're like strategically choosing which chess strategy you're using but not playing chess in and of itself it's a, it's a diabolical move um but yeah uh, future video game tabletop crossovers that should exist i would really like betrayal at house on the hill yes be a vid- i love that is my number one board game yes oh i my love God. playing it with friends why isn't it, why isn't it a video game? Like that would work so no well as a video game. I think maybe there's like too many scenarios. If you don't know the premise of this, uh, it's a great premise for the idea of okay, everyone's co-op going through exploring this mansion, and then at a certain point, a twist happens, and typically one person will then become the bad person and try and hunt down everybody else and kill them. But it's like there's what fifty different scenarios mm-hmm. that you could potentially trigger and stuff. And so maybe like video game wise, it's just too tough to like. How do you roughly polish? 50 different scenarios when the thrill of that is when they're all completely different like okay this time you're a werewolf this time you're an invisible man this time this i feel like it's possible yeah and they they certainly didn't roughly polish it for the board game version it is so like (laughs) it is wildly uneven at times that's kind of the fun is like sometimes it's just a slam dunk case yeah uh, yeah but that that would be really fun as a board game if it could like take out you know a person having to if it if it if it handled all of the rules itself, so you wouldn't have to worry about like, are we playing this right? You know, like what do what does this weird, you know, very condensed set of new rules mean that one person has to learn in the middle right. of the game? You know, it is the yeah. perpetual plug. Tabletop Simulator does have scripted versions of it that will play itself to some extent. You don't have to be like a master of it. You'll still have to know the basics. That's interesting. I'll have to check that out. Might be a fun stream at some point. Maybe around Halloween. We'll see. Uh, any other thoughts on uh, crossovers that should exist? You make a go fish board video game. Yeah, they should. Open man. world. Absolutely, I agree. <laughs> I would like an open fish. world sorry game. That would be really great. Mm. Uh, Kind of Dark Souls style invasions. Right. Sorry about. Right, right, right. Uh, Dino Marino writes in and says, Hey, all, love the show. Been a huge fan since day one. Day one, says Dino. Uh, first time posting a question, though, so go easy on me. They're not. Sometimes I'm just making up how these sentences work. <laughs> um, anyways, they say, My question is, what was your most intense slash exciting gaming moment? Whether it was something you were doing or even watching someone else do. Most exciting or intense gaming moment. <sighs> Um, for me, you know, there's got to be other people involved because you get that uh, cheering for each other. Right. Tension of performing. Uh, me and my best bud, Kobe Soft Joe, long time ago, we played Spelunky co-op. He was much better than me. He guided me to hell and then died on the last boss. And then I had to beat the last boss myself. And I did. And that was the thrill of my life. And recently something happened with him that was on that level where we played this crappy but amazing PS2 game called The Bouncer. Oh, okay. we were playing at his place. First of all, you cannot call The Bouncer crappy, but continue. Yeah, it's only crappy in most 
ways, but it is right. really good and really fun. And we <laughs> played it twice in that weekend. Because it's so, so I'm good. Hell <laughs> I'm not yeah. going to pretend I don't like it. <laughs> but on our second playthrough, we got to the last boss, which absolutely kicked our ass. We tried 30 times before we beat him the first playthrough. The second playthrough, we were switching off every, you know, loading screen or whatever. So we'd switch off between the two phases of the boss. And we started it the first time and he did amazing and beat the first phase of the boss on his first try and handed it to me. And that level of pressure of like, because <laughs> you keep the same health bar, it's like mm -hmm. going off of how well he did and having to perform in this weird ass fighting game where there is a lot of jank to it, but you can be good at it like we did get better at it. Yeah. And then pulling that off and us each beating one of the phases to beat the last boss on our first try. That was we were cheering, we were screaming, we were high-fiving. That's that was amazing. a great gaming moment. Why do I remember a scene <laughs> in that game where rent-a-cops are, like, sliding down a tree? Is that a thing? Do you recall this moment? Did I imagine Probably. that? Okay. That sounds right. Okay. It's a great game. Um, yeah, I mean, Battle Royales are certainly up there, you know, if, you're, if your team's mm -hmm. at the end there. Um, some PUBG moments probably really stand out the most for me of just, like, losing it and screaming. I was probably dead, but still, like, watching and, and cheering for my friends. Or... Hey, uh, take a drink, because we mentioned it, but Driver San Francisco, the split-screen tag mode, like, that has led to some very intense uh, screaming, because it's just it's just amazing when you're just playing tag in cars, and one person is, like, a millimeter away from touching another person in that game. It's just incredible. Yeah, mine, okay. mine was also Splunky. Um, oh, really? Because, yeah, when I was... When I played through it... Uh, the first time, like, I always felt the idea that you could play from... A, I think there was some kind of extra special, you know, secret place that you could get to, but you had to carry a key from like the first world all the way through the entire world. And it, as I, when I was playing through it, it seemed impossible. Like you open up shortcuts to each of the different worlds and that's how I had always beat it. And it, it just seemed absolutely impossible that you could go through an entire run in one sitting. And when I actually did it, just kind of lucked into it. Like when I got to the final boss, my hands were shaking oh so bad. God. It was like playing a game as a kid, you know, for the first time again. But, yeah. Uh, Chris, we all want like nice checkpoints and stuff, but God, there's no way to replicate that tension of like, I'm going to lose a ton of progress I've made yeah. here. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Chris Logan says, hey, Ben and the Horts, uh, why is there still such a big gap between mobile gaming and handheld gaming? I know Candy Crush style games will never go away, that's fine, but why can I still not download console gaming caliber games on my phone? Phones are certainly powerful enough these days, is it just the lack of controller holding it back? And there's that backbone, which is really nice, if you've never checked that out. Um, controls, probably, but also it's just the market, you know? I don't think mm -hmm. that anybody has been established clearly for yeah if you make a console quality game put it on a phone that everyone's going to come running it seems like the lesson over and over again is it'll find its audience but trying to convince somebody to spend that much time with the console level experience like Republic or even like Fantasian and Apple Arcade which is that big JRPG which is great but it's like it's not going to find that mass audience so why keep Genshin trying Impact yeah. has a big mobile community. that is true I think that's probably the number one success story it is in that free to play free, yeah, for yeah sure. so yeah. I think like being free to play is what you have to do on the mobile market, and no one wants to commit console-level gameplay to have to compete with, like, free-to-play games. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess, you know what? You're right. You're right, everybody. I mean, even, like, Call of Duty Mobile, I think that's tearing up the charts still. There's kind of those big, obvious ones. PUBG Mobile, I'm sure, is more popular mm -hmm. 
Shadow of the Colossus. Rainbow uh, Six Siege Mobile is coming out this week, I think. Oh, They're, really? That's just becoming a thing. Weird. Um, yeah, I mean, this week they also announced a new Warcraft game. Warcraft Arclight Rumble, which looks like Clash of Clans. Uh, I watched their big 10-minute video on it and just uh, cruising those YouTube comments. People aren't pissed, which they normally are, Blizzard, recently, which I understand. It just seems like a wave of apathy that is really interesting to see. Just every single comment is just in the realm of, I feel like I've played this about four years ago and I truly don't care. Like, okay, Blizzard, sure. This should be a yeah. big deal that Blizzard's making a new mobile game and it's just it's just a zero on everybody's radar. I feel yeah, like it's because you're, you're getting like a console IP game, yeah. but it will be freemium content. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you're not going to get like that console experience it's going to be you know microtransactions like stamina systems energy systems yeah yeah uh Uh, yeah on the blizzard uh angle i feel similarly about like ubisoft i think some of these giant brands it's for a big portion of the community it's hurting more than it's helping to have their name on it people just like can instantly write off certain things now yeah uh what are you playing these days on mobile leo so here's my thing about mobile versus handheld. Please. I think for me, for my interests, I don't want mobile games to be trying to be console quality experiences. It's like this is 10 minutes in bed in the morning that I can do instead of browsing Twitter. Yeah. And certain games just work better for mobile than they would anywhere else. I've been playing this game Void Tyrant, which might be on my top 10 this year. Very likely. Ooh. It's a card-based deck builder roguelike, blah, blah, blah. Please keep listening. I'm sorry. Stop <laughs> skipping. Well, there's a cute dog in the image, and you're talking about a deck builder on iOS, so you really got to swing hard, dude. There was a lot in that. Can you can you please say it again, what this game has in it, Leo? But it's what you expect it to have in it. <laughs> you're, you're building a deck. It's a, it's a roguelike, random generated elements, uh, picking your th- class. It's whatever. But here's how this combat system works. And I feel like if somebody had pitched this combat system to me at any point, I would have instantly downloaded this game. So it may be the case for other people listening as well. Okay. It is like Blackjack, but it only goes up to 12 and your cards are one through six. So you're hitting or standing, taking a risk on having a perfect, you know, critical hit with a 12 or just being higher than your opponent. And you... Your deck of cards that are your abilities that you're spending mana to cast, like do an extra attack, block an attack, whatever. You're spending that mana as like a bet on whether you're going to win or not. Mm. So you can blow all your mana betting that you're going to win this hand and then you get annihilated and all your mana is just down the drain. So it's like that gambling aspect and with a very simple control scheme, but it's like constant dopamine highs and lows of like, Yes, I betted on that and it paid off and I did 10 critical hits to this guy and annihilated him on turn one. And there's also like modifiers, you know, you can get lucky and you have a 10 and you can play all your attack cards and then drop your plus two so you get your guaranteed critical hit. There's just like so much satisfying about that combat system that works because it's just one finger on your phone. Avoid tyrant. How do you learn about these things, Leo? I just browsed the Apple store. Really? I wish I had a better way. But usually I'm, I'm not lucky. I've played a lot of crap ones that I don't talk about. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you told me about that because I have definitely seen that one while browsing the store and been like, eh, I, that doesn't look. You know, like it looks like all the other ones and I, I need someone to tell me, hey, no, this is the gem 
download this one. So right, I, out. I downloaded it because one of the screenshots shows you meeting a character in one of your runs and you're choosing to either take them as a follower or just like have them suck your blood and lose 30 health and get to move on. Some little decision like that where it's like either do this thing or take this person as a follower. And that was like, okay, there's some depth to these mechanics here. There's going to be interesting choices I'm making. That yeah. one little screenshot, I took a, took a gamble on it appropriately. And here I am loving it. Wow, look at that. You're on the other side. And it's free to play? Yes. There it is. But you can pay like five bucks to never see any ads in it. That sounds sweet. Which is great. Uh, Super Status writes in and says, Hey, everybody. Did Leo do all of last week's episode standing up? Why? I say we all pitch him and get him a, cha a gamer chair. Says Super Status. What I want to know is last time Leo like walked over to his door. Right. With his headphones still attached. Yes. How long is cord what are you up that's to that's all over i there? really want to know how long is the cord keep where going. are you going keep going he's actually well, he's going out to the, the door bathroom. he's out the door <laughs> this seems impossible now unfortunately there is no microphone on the headphones it's long enough that i could reach my toilet if i really angle my body and keep my head in the hallway do you do that no i never have all right i have wireless headphones that i use when i'm not recording stuff what the yeah what's your deal uh what's your deal why are you anti-chair bro <laughs> I why are you standing guys I, please I'm trying to explain <laughs> it's a desk that can turn into a standing desk by cranking it up wow and I've used it at various points over the years I've been off it for a while but the last few weeks I've been back on it back on it because there's a sweet spot I find for energy where if I'm really tired I don't want to stand up of course I'm going to sit and do the podcast if I'm really wired, I don't need to stand up. I'll sit and do the podcast and have good energy. But if I'm a little on the tired side, right. being in standing mode keeps me a lot more active and focused. And I can't really drift off as much. So now we know exactly what mood you're in based on uh, how much you're shifting around on the podcast. Yes, exactly. Love and it. it's just in standing mode for the duration of the recording. I don't work like this, really. Right. So I've heard of gamer chairs, but how can... How can they break into the market of all these standards now? Like gaming socks? What's what's the gaming solution? Iron Maidens? Yeah, I guess that's gamer it. mat. <laughs> oh, the gamer mat. You need the gamer mat, bro. Yo. Oh, hang on. Does he it's got a grippy? He's got he the literally gamer has a gamer. He's got mat. it. He's got it. <laughs> Damn it. Um, Ramses Garcia writes in: If you could have a dinner prepared by any video game character, who would it be? Come on, Ramses. Come on. Come on. That's fantasy. First thing I thought was those Monster Hunter cats. But that was me too. Hair. No, they're gonna get hair in that food though. Is the problem? I don't. I, it's fine. It's probably gonna be really good. Yeah, they never it talk about it, delicious. but yeah, I think most people end up spitting out most of the food they're fed there. Um, that is the correct answer though. A meowscular chef. Uh, Corey Kimmel writes in and says, "Hello everyone. I hope your days are filled with love and smiles." My God, I have a question and a better quest goal. Hell yeah, set your own goals, everybody, right in. Uh, here's the question. If you could change the in-real-life sky around you to any video game skybox, including the weather, what game would you pick? Halo 1? Like, it would still be on Earth, but it would just have the ring, I guess. I don't know how that would work for everybody if well, that's just everybody on Earth has that <laughs> skybox. But in some way, any, any Bungie skybox, I think I'll take um, at that point. Um, but then they say, better quest. I try and, oh, this is interesting. So Corey says, I try and challenge myself to be 1% better every day with the hopes of seeing a 365% improvement in myself every year. <laughs> I love this. The scale I use is simple. 
1% for working out, 1% for eating healthy, 1% for 16 hours fast. Every time I mess up, I don't get that percent. Everyday life is a zero, which we all agree, unless you go above and beyond to improve life plus 1%, or if you royally mess up, negative 1%. Big life events like losing your job, negative 100%. Yeah. What? All so things that aren't even false? Yeah, that one seems rough. That one seems rough. I, I was with You're you tired. until that. Why do you hate yourself? Yeah, that seems that seems rough. Um, but I like the idea of just setting a percent every day. It's it's your MMR ranking, right? Just for if you're improving or deproving and deproving, is that what it's called? Um, and then you eventually can be a 365% better person by the end of the year. It's perfect. Uh, that's great. That's I also fun. want to just throw out there for the nature of better quest, you know, being going easier on yourself and holding yourself to less high standards is still becoming better. It's still mm -hmm. something to something to strive for. So you can achieve you a know, goal by saying I want to accomplish less in my life. Yeah. And saying a day where I don't do anything isn't a zero. There's yeah. still value in it. That's There's some, still stuff. I can that's some real new age millennial stuff. Leo, no one else has to listen to him. Uh, Capen wrote in and asked, hey, what's the matter? Uh, <laughs> What's the matter with Leo? No. What's the most you've ever spent on a single cosmetic item in a game? How do you think artists feel about the pricing of their art in games? I'm always so curious about how pricing differences are determined for cosmetics providing no gameplay benefit. That is an interesting determined idea. Determined by how much you will pay for them. So just the most popular ones? Do you think like if... if they, they'd found out how much money you were willing to pay and that's what they priced all the cosmetics at. Do you think um, they go to certain artists for those higher end ones? Or do you think all artists on a team like this are just like submitting cosmetic ideas and then somebody else looks through it and says like, okay, um, yeah, Cheryl, uh, yours is going to be worth uh, 3,000 gems. Uh, Rick, this looks like a 14 gemmer. Like, wouldn't that be weird to like have your art be judged that way? I think yeah. they, they know going in like the price point. So they're like, you can only, you only get this many polygons. It's got to not have effects on it no sparkles mm, no glitters mm -hmm, solid mm -hmm. colors that's right and it's always categorized into like a legendary thing versus an elite mm -hmm. thing versus a common thing mm -hmm. from the jump right right um but yeah what's the most anybody's ever spent on a cosmetic item in a game i don't think it's been more than i've spent in on each siege elite skin which is 15 16 dollars a pop and i have like 10 or 12 of them Ooh, wow yeah, over the course of many years. Yeah, I mean, you've put enough. Yeah, I mean, how many hours game. have you played that game for? Fifteen hundred. Yeah, I'm a I'm a fake ass gamer boy when it comes to this stuff. Like, I really don't spend money on any any of this nonsense. I was, like, I was, yeah, I was trying to think of if I have ever bought a cosmetic, and I can't really <laughs> think of an example. I think that's just because we're boring, simple people, Jeff. Um, and that's that's kind of the lot we've we've led in life maybe um, it's more satisfying to earn them writer's republic is a game where you have plenty of opportunities to pay for cosmetics if you want to but instead doing like the sponsor grind over the course of so many hours in that game you end up with this totally wide selection that you're super proud of each piece and you can mix and match that's like versus the instant dopamine rush of just one per purchase for one outfit yeah doesn't really compare yeah i think the most i've gone is i really wanted the santa skin for may in overwatch and so i paid for like 10 bucks of a loot box or something and didn't That's get the it the issue is the loot boxes because yeah. it's like they don't price yeah. i mean i think league of legends they price the skins they have skins that are like 25 dollars, like the super elite ones but yeah. yeah for overwatch i wanted like the witch mercy skin mm. when that came out and i had to like I don't know how many loot boxes I had to buy until eventually they took pity on me and they're like, whatever you want. Did they really? Take it. 
Well, because you get currency. Yeah. Right. But you could you get like oh, the hard currency too. So right, right, right. That's the pity, the pity pull. <laughs> That'll do. Uh, Matthew W writes in and says, "Hey everybody, this is this is a real good one, Matthew. Good job. You're doing a good job, Matthew." They say, "In the sense of exploring." Let me make sure I read this correctly and, and don't do blow it. Do it justice. I'm going to do it justice because I think it's a really interesting Do idea. as good of a job as the question did. Okay, here it goes. <sighs> Hi, all. Is the sense of exploring a game world fundamentally different between older or 2D games and more open world or 3D games? I think as a kid, my imagination would fill in the blanks, so to speak, and I would think of the world as much larger than it was for games like Final Fantasy VII or A Link to the Past. Exploring Final Fantasy VII Remake or Breath of the Wild is still fun, but for me, there's not the same sense of mystery that allowed my imagination to run wild as earlier games. What do you think? Thanks for doing all that you do. So I, there's a distinction of 2D games versus older games implying games you played when you were younger, which naturally your imagination is going to fill in more gaps. But I do think there is a different vibe for exploring a 2D game compared to a 3D game. Is it fundamentally different, the concept of exploration? I mean, it, I think that once again raises the specter of Elden Ring in terms of like 2D games were by their nature very tightly designed to give you an experience that the designer wanted you to have. And I think a lot of open world games have gone in the opposite direction where it's like, just big place, and it, you can you're missing that sense of authorship that I think again Elden Ring kind of adds back into it, and that that's kind of I also see that kind of filling in with old design too, in terms like Shadow of the Colossus, which we just talked about, of like feeling more of a very tailored thing as opposed to just you know like a like a Far Cry where it's just. We built a big world. You can go explore it. I don't know. You know, there's a pond there because there are ponds in the real world. So we built a pond. You can you can walk around it, I guess, if you want to. You know, but it's like, but why does that pond really exist? It, did you right. did you put it there for a reason? Is there a reason for me to really walk around there? What are you trying to tell me from that? I think 2D games and old in older sense design sensibility kind of focused more on that. Well, what do you think about something like Terraria, just to get away from that authored 2D angle. Like, does, is exploration in Terraria naturally less compelling than exploration in Minecraft? It feels a little more goal-based in Terraria. Yeah. Like, you're looking specifically for something, where in Minecraft, obviously, you're looking for something, but it's more like, I wonder if I'll find a cool cave. You're right. I you're... wonder if I'll find yeah. a new biome, and I feel like Terraria is definitely more like, Exploring in it is fun, but it's more about like the building and the survival aspect. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think the biggest thing here for you, Matthew, is the age. Because even getting out of like 2D side perspective versus 3D, which I guess I was thinking of, but even yeah, thinking about like just that sense of exploration in something like linked to the past when you think you have an infinite smorgasbord in front of you when realistically you don't. I, don't know. I was thinking about this in. Uh when I was playing another mobile game called Card Thief, which is fine. It's not, not super recommending it or anything. But it is, the premise is you're uh, sneaking through these castles late at night, sneaking around guards and blowing out lights and finding loot and stuff. But it's all super simple interactions. 
with super simple card art of just swiping your one card around this table of nine cards. And but still, it sells the like fantasy of doing that thing of being the thief in the castle late at night. And even in you know, text advent adventures, you didn't need the full mm -hmm. open world to like get the sense that you were doing this thing. It was more about the interaction. So I think maybe I wouldn't go as far as to say it's fundamentally different because I think they are kind of going for that same thing and it is tickling that same thing deep inside of you despite being right. very different ways of achieving it. Yeah. It's a good thinker though. I like it, Matthew. Uh, Jordan Brown writes in, another just great mind in our community that went over to Patreon. I really love this idea. Jordan asks, do you think the generation that grew up in the late Super Nintendo slash early PlayStation 1 era where they played long RPGs with no voice acting gave that generation more of a tolerance to watch subbed movies or TV shows where you have to read while watching the action unfold simultaneously? Or am I just overthinking it? I think there might be something there. Like getting Are you that generation? Am I that generation? Yeah. Who's asking? Uh, uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, and I, you know, I like Yakuza subbed, you know, but I hate having subtitles on for English entertainment. Um, but really, yeah, it, it annoys me. I don't like to know the lines before they happen. I, I just mm. feel like I'm undercutting all drama and stuff. And I understand I'm every time I do have subs on, I realize, oh, I don't understand what anybody's saying at any point. There's so many words that I miss, but it's, it's not worth it for like ruining, I think the impact there, but I think there's something there about just like growing up on RPGs back in the day and getting used to just reading so much text on a screen. I bet you are more open to it. Except you're not. I, I am open to it. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Sarah's being attacked. Now, what would you describe as happening in your house that would cause your dog to lose its mind, Sarah? They got an Amazon package. Oh, yeah, that's a mistake. You should never order a dog on Amazon because your dog's going to freak out when it shows up. Um, I think there's something there. I think there's something to it. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Okay. Jordan, we appreciate the question. We'll think <laughs> about it. We'll think about it for the rest of time. It's just not going to like light us on fire, I think, is the, is the discussion. Um, Chuck Emmett writes in and says, Howdy, Minmaxers. With the announcement of Return to Monkey Island and Tales of the Borderlands 2, I wanted to know what y'all thought about point-and-click adventure games. I know some of the cohorts uh, were around for that era, and some started playing after the heyday had passed. It'll be interesting to hear what experience everyone has with them. <laughs> Personally, while I appreciate the art, writing, and humor in the old adventure games, LucasArts especially, I never really enjoyed the actual moment-to-moment -moment gameplay. Considering the rise and fall of Telltale and the proclamations that the genre has been dead since the early 1990s, what do you think lies in store for the future of the genre? Um, great question. Great question. Um, I, uh, yeah, I think you're right, Chuck. And I think the designers of modern point-and-click adventure games are very much aware of that idea. And maybe this is largely coming from the Double Fine Adventure documentary about designing Broken Age. But that idea of like, hey, people love these games. There's so much passion for it and nostalgia. But at the same time, the minute-to-minute -minute gameplay is not exactly gonna rock your world at any point it's tough to put your finger on exactly what is compelling about an old point and click adventure game i remember tim schaefer at some point said like well it's not like an rpg where you level up uh or you have crazy action moments and so like the best an adventure game can do for giving you a satisfying moment is when you get to see new art like background art it's like i, I guess that's such a weird way of looking at it but that's probably true that is the big exciting thing in those games 
That's interesting. That's very true for my experience playing those games as a kid. Yeah. That's how exciting it was to finally get to a new level, even if I used a walkthrough to get there. But yeah, I don't know. That genre hasn't clicked with me since I was a kid. I maybe have played a couple, certainly haven't fallen in love with any since then. Yeah. Did you start out with um, LucasArts stuff? Were you more like Pajama Sam? Were you into the humongous stuff? Is that what's kind of your... Certainly. Putt-Putt Saves the Zoo. That's right. That's right. Mastered that. World (laughs) best speed run on that. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, and uh, Escape from Monkey Island blew my mind as a kid. Grim Fandango blew my mind. Yeah. Formative. Oh, God. What was that? What was your experience? Were you glued to a walkthrough? Were you playing with your family? Uh, playing by myself, even Grim Fandango, I didn't have a PC, so I had to play it at a friend's house mm. by myself while he played Smash by himself. Oh, <laughs> One of those kids' experiences. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, always trying not to use a walkthrough, always resorting to a walkthrough because those puzzles were just ridiculous. It's oh, absurd. God. Even like, you know, with the remaster and I played through Grim Fandango again, I remember. Even looking at a walkthrough at moments, I was like, what is this? Like the one with like the chain in the boat. And I think you have to like saw the boat in half. Like that was one where it's like, okay, yeah. this is truly the worst part of this game. Because you it. don't even know really what you're trying to do. Right, right. Until you've done it. And you're like, I guess that made sense as what got me out of the situation. But then you hit a new environment or like a new cutscene, Like, oh, like the start of year three. Like, oh, it's just the coolest game in the world. Yeah. You see your Manny in a new outfit. Yeah. Exactly. Um, did you play? Um, oh, is it called This Is Not a Game? There, there uh, is, there no, is. I'm a gamer, so I would not play that. Oh, I understand. There, there is no game. Wrong dimension. Did I scream at you? I forget if you played that and were underwhelmed. But I really love that for just like a modern take on a point and click adventure. Um, Sounds super familiar. I might have. I feel yeah. like I was raving about it. Then you played it and you said, it's fine. Stop talking about it. But I really love that for just to kind of. I would have said, shut up. Right, right. Just for a, a self-aware take on the point and click adventure. Um, it's called There Is No Game. And it's available everywhere. But it's really fun to stream that. I feel like that's the future of point and click adventures. Is if you can stream it with the community, just have people helping you solve these puzzles. It really does make it a much more satisfying experience. Okay. Okay. Uh, I don't think I tried this looking at it right now. Ooh, okay. If you're ever in the mood, uh, especially if you're streaming it, it's really fun. Uh, Jacob Hubbard, it's a little, it's a little Stanley Parable esque, if I may. Um, Jacob Hubbard writes in and says, "Hey everybody, uh, when working on backlog games, do you ever find yourself watching or reading old reviews of said games? I always end up checking out some after I beat a game." Yeah, I love that. Just going back and finding some old coverage, um, like even just. Uh, watching an old game trailers review or easy allies review with Brandon Jones doing the VO and all that stuff. You know, I, I love that kind of stuff. Um, just see what people are saying about it at the time. And it's always interesting when it's like, Oh, that's such a weird thing to focus on. Like this is aged differently. This critique wouldn't exist now. This would. So I think finding it in the time and place is kind of fun. Actually, we've had a surprising amount of people write in recently. I didn't include their comments here and I regret that now, but several people wrote in talking about just like, playing older games and going through the old deepest dives, um, which I would, I would love to do that. I think that's such a fun way. I would love to do that if I wasn't on those deepest dives, right? But like playing through oh, yeah. that as an old game club stuff and just having the most thorough discussion about this old game that no one else is talking about. Uh, it's very cool. It's, I think the deepest dive is very cool. Um, anybody else like to go back and check out the old stuff and figure out what people are saying I've about these games? It. I've done it for a few games, but usually it's for, like I finish a game and I'm like, I'm like, I just want to know what, like, the general feeling was when the game released. Because yeah. sometimes the hype of a game at launch is different than the hype of you finishing a game, like, a few years after it's come out. Like, 
if you're not there when the hype hits, you know, I had to like check. I think with Death Stranding, I had to like watch a bunch of reviews because I just had to like make sure that I was on the same page with society for some bit. Sometimes it's like a sanity check. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I do like to watch, especially like jokey reviews, you know, people who are kind of like maybe like making fun of the game more, I think are always fun, obviously after you've experienced the game. Right. Yeah. Be wary, everybody. As much as we all like watching donkey videos, he is fast and loose with those spoilers. It is, <laughs> it is coming up fast. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, Toby Martin wrote in. And has a missed joke opportunity, our favorite thing to write in about. Missed joke opportunity, I was listening to the final uh, Deepest Dive part this morning for Chrono Cross, and Ben said, let's go through this game chronologically, and he should have said chronologically. I am sorry, Toby Martin. We can go back and record a new part of the Deepest Dive on Chrono Cross if you'd like, um, because I can fix that. Uh, But again, yeah, check that out on our YouTube channel if you haven't. It's a very fun chat. Uh, Rebecca Valentine from IGN. Talk about a trooper. If I may just uh, let's smoke up this, this person's butt. The idea of like coming in to be a guest on the deepest dive. She's a very busy, talented journalist over there at IGN and jumping in to talk about Chrono Cross, not just for like a 30 minute spot on a podcast, which already is a certain requirement, but also just like committing for an entire month every Tuesday for like four hours to talk about Chrono Cross for a total of, yeah. I can't even do that math. Sarah, what's four times four? 16? 16, I don't, I don't 16 know. hours? It's, it's bananas. So please follow Duck Valentine on Twitter and show her some love because that was amazing. Um, hey, Philly Eat Steak writes in. Says, hey, everybody. My spouse and I recently started playing Little Hope together. Uh, is your dog okay, Sarah? No. No. <laughs> is the Amazon guy just standing outside the door and making cat sounds? Much like Jeff M's child, right. he like knows I don't want him to bark, and he's like, mm, "I must, I must bark, mother. I'm sorry. That's you don't it. want I me to bark? Time. That's too bad for you. Is don't, now not a good time? <laughs> don't get too close to the TV." Uh, anyways, Philly Eats 6 is my, my spouse and I recently started playing Little Hope together. The game itself is fine at best, but we're playing it co-op on two different systems and in two different rooms. We're controlling different characters, seeing different things, and making our own decisions that impact each other. It's such a cool way to play that I wish more people had talked about it. That is a fun idea. Uh, so my question for you is, have there been any new ideas in the way of multiplayer or player interaction, uh, the way that it's presented to you that you find especially interesting? New multiplayer ideas. Uh, remember Hitman Ghost Mode, where you were both <laughs> playing Hitman on top of each other? On top of each other? Yeah. <laughs> you were just trying to do silent kills faster than the other person? Were you, like, interacting with the environment? So, like, if you were sneaking up on a guy, then somebody else killed him? It was like, oh, too bad. Yeah, you could, like, distract him away. Oh, that's fun. Was it fun? It was fun. Not enough people played it for them to included after Hitman 2, but that was felt new. That does seem cool. That does seem cool. I don't, my thought immediately went to something like Affordable Space Adventures um, on the Wii U, which is an under unsung hero of the of the Wii U eShop, but it's really cool because like you had the, the gamepad and then everybody was controlling like different aspects of this ship as you're trying to navigate these puzzles and these environments, but I love that idea of like, okay, you are just on thrusters and you are just on shields and you are just on weapons, you know, and just like that level of separation of abilities is really cool so cool. M- more creative stuff yeah. i think vr chat still feels ahead of the game 
on certain things, certain deception games, like including proximity chat and the sense of uh, presence really amplifies how fun those games can be. Sneaking off with one other person, forming secret plans and then yeah. walking over and presenting whatever lie you've come up with. <laughs> like that still feels very unique to that. And I wish there was more widespread. Totally. Uh, ben Castle writes in says, Dear Ben and the Maximilians, has having a game spoiled for you ever made you want to play or continue to play a game? I recently completed God of War 2018 for the first time and loved it despite not really knowing or despite not really enjoying the combat and story beats in the first hours of the game. What kept me going was my fully knowing parts of the game coming up thanks to the Game Informer Game Club at the time. <laughs> this expectation and perspective made me continue beyond the first portion of the game that otherwise may have turned me away. That's interesting. Spoiling a game kept you coming back. Any examples of that? Every year for a game of the year discussion, that's something a good that's spoiled point. that makes me more interested in the game than before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is true. That's a good one. But I haven't yet played any of the games I said I was going to. Of course not. No, yes, everyone, everyone's a liar. I know, Jeff yeah. and Sarah, do you have thoughts on that one? Sometimes I go out of my way to like spoil the game for myself. When you're playing a game and you're like, where is this going? So like for Deathloop, I was like, I don't really want to work for this story <laughs> if it's like not going to pan out. So right. I did like go ahead mm. and like read a synopsis and I was like, you know what? I think I'm good. Right. Like I read the synopsis of what was going to happen. I'm like, I don't think I would have felt better achieving it going through all the gameplay than if I had just read it online. And sometimes you got to do like a sanity check like that. Like, what am I, what am I really working towards? Here? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I, I think there was a game we talked about not too long ago, which I haven't played, so it, it doesn't count. But the way people described what was coming up, they were saying it was stupid, but it was like kind of crazy stupid. And that was like, oh, really? That does make me more interested in it than I would have been. What was it? Right. But I can't, I can't remember what the example was. Is it Yakuza? I don't know what it would have been. No, it wasn't Yakuza. I can't, I can't remember. I think it got very meta, though, in terms of what you were playing as or something. Uh, I can't. It's a bad example. Oh, Stranger of Paradise? Maybe. Okay. Let's just say it was Stranger Paradise, everybody. Uh, I remember Shadow of the Tomb Raider, Kim at Game Informer, yes. said the ending was so stupid. She said it was straight up bananas. Yeah. And that and made you to, play it. I had to play through it. And then you said... I think this ending's straight up good. <laughs> there it is. Uh, all right. What do y'all like for a question of the week? Uh, there's Darwin talking about our non-gaming backlog. Dino talking about the most exciting, intense moment. Matthew with the 2D versus 3D exploration. Jordan with the subtitle exploration. What stands out for y'all? I like 2D versus 3D. You like 2D versus 3D? Jeff and Sarah, I need you to just shout out what your heart is screaming. Yes. Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, congratulations, Matthew W. You just won Grim Fandango on the Nintendo Switch. Congratulations. Talk about exploration. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks to IM8Bit. Also, it's still available in IM8Bit's online store if you want to check out uh, the actual physical version of that on your own. Uh, All right, and now it's time for something that we call Get a Load of This. We call it that because we're going to do it. Um, hey everybody, get a load of this. I uh, okay. I went and saw The Birds, the Hitchcock film from 1963. Um, 
last week, a couple weeks ago. Um, I was playing at a, a theater here in Columbia Heights, Minnesota. Um, so I went to see it and it was just awesome because it was like packed theater for this movie from 1963. And like it worked. Like people were laughing, people were scared. It's just incredible. The birds rules. And I want it to come back in some form because I think it's a really cool angle on like a post-apocalyptic world or I guess an apocalyptic event. It's just like, yeah, what if birds just started attacking you? What would you do? Remember when we were talking about that hypothetically on the podcast a while ago, Jeff? Um? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it turns out... It, it, should... it, it was like... What was it? It was like you versus a million birds. If every bird, bird... Yeah. Could humans survive if every bird started attacking them? And it was like, oh, that is just the plot of the birds. So I don't know why we didn't just reference that exactly. Um, but anyways, uh, looking at the history... They already figured it out. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, but the production of the movie, the special effects, I think, held up really well. They look really good. And one of the reasons for it is interesting uh, to me, uh, if you're an animation dork, but apparently uh, the Walt Disney Company did the special effects for The Birds, the horror film, which is cool. And they were led, the team was led by Oob Ewerks, who is as original as you can get for a Disney animator. I mean, he is the co-creator of like Oswald the Lucky Rabbit basically co-creator mickey mouse he animated steamboat willie just like the old school of the old school nintendo guys and in 1963 he led the team and was nominated for an oscar at least for uh, the birds from hitchcock so it's kind of a, a cool connection to the you the said nintendo instead of disney just then did i really yeah isn't that interesting Disgusting. doesn't that say something Ooh, right, that's right gross i don't like myself anymore um i don't know how you pronounce it is somebody i mean leafy on's making fun of me is it ub ub iwerks I've always called him Oob Ewerks, but I don't know if that's because in Dragon Ball there's a character named Oob. Anyways, Ubisoft. what's that, Leo? Ubisoft. That's how it's pronounced? I'll be damned. Um, all right, step right up. Step right up, Swinger. Take it away, Leo. What do you got? Get a load of this product. Cinnamon Toast Crunch Popcorn with Cinnabest Glaze. Wow. I got this at the gas station yesterday, and I don't know what it's like, but we're all about to find out together how it tastes. All right. First bite. This is for you, Cereal. He's chewing it. It tastes like cinnamon toast crunch. Yeah, that's a good first step. Okay, but I think not enough like cinnamon toast crunch. <laughs> it's like popcorn, but not very buttery with a light cinnamon glaze. Mm. Uh, I'm not too impressed. Mm. So not it's it's a um <laughs> efficient, no <laughs> doubt about that. It's weird that cinnamon toast crunch. You say it tastes like cinnamon toast crunch. That's just code for it tastes like cinnamon, right? Can't you be like, can't you just eat a sn- snickerdoodle and be like, yeah. This just rips off cinnamon toast crunch. It's like their entire flavor is just one spice. And and the crunch. I, you know what? I forgot about the toast and the crunch. That's a great point. Uh, Sarah, what do you got? Um, first of all, I just want to say how cool would it be if we had a Dead by Daylight game and it was Betrayal at House on the Hill? I yeah. just want to put that out there. Yeah, oh, yeah. Cool. I'm really excited cool. about it in my mind. Yeah. Um, but my get a load of this is there is a streamer who is famous for modding things into controllers. I don't know if you've seen this. Yeah, you've probably seen this. His name, I think, is Rudism, but he first got famous taking bananas and playing Winston from Overwatch, (laughs) an Overwatch game with bananas, like real bananas. Okay, perfect. Um, So he's very, he's been around for a while, very well known. He took a Fisher Price controller for babies that babies can play with, uh, and he modded it into a real controller that you can play games with, and it works really well. Like, it works like a real controller, but it still has the Fisher-Price things to it. Like, if you press a button, it'll say, like, green! <laughs> press A button, it's like, star! And if you try to, like, press any of the buttons, it'll start, like, singing a song to you. I love it. So, he's he says he's going to beat Elden Ring with it. I'm 
I'm doubtful because it doesn't have a camera. It doesn't have like a C stick or like right. a camera stick. Yeah, I was looking at that and too. And he has to he has to like change a setting to make the camera turn. And I'm like, how can you play Elden Ring without with a set camera? But you know what? I would I'm gonna love to watch him do it. <laughs> That's what about with Toby eye tracking? Mm, that's the future. That'd be a good right stick. My kid has that controller. Really? <laughs> yes. Can you can you so. give us like a brief review of the controller? Uh it's it's pretty good. It plays some chiptune music when you press some of the buttons, depending on what mode it is that's in. Pretty good. Uh, and it has pretty good hand feel to it. So nice, nice. It's a good it's a good one to choose. Love it. Uh what do you got for us, Jevin? Uh get a load of this. This was a wired obsessed video they do videos on people who are really into one subject and this one was called inside the 40 year long dungeons and dragons game Uh, and it's it's a history professor from ontario named robert wardaw who has been running the same dungeons and dragons campaign since the 80s and he like it's so famous and he's devoted so much time to like terrain and models and all that stuff that people fly in from all around the country to join his game and he says, once once you've played a game with him and created a character in his world, you can play with him for life. To the point where he told his daughter, uh, when when she was growing up and started dating, she had a boyfriend who wanted to start playing. And he was like, hey, if if he starts playing and you break up, like, I'm still going to let him come play. Oh, wow. Because he said, relationships come and go, but D&D lasts forever. Hell and he yeah. He said that's actually what happened. Um, I don't know how long the boyfriend continued playing, but it's pretty hardcore. So <laughs> I love that. Check that guy out. There's links below for all this good stuff. Uh, you got one from the community too, Jeff? Yeah, get a load of this. This one was from Grizzled Gaming. He knows what I'm talking about. Uh, it's a. It was a a tweet by Netflix from Netflix is a joke, which is like their stand-up division, right? Um, and they they said they worked with a. Keaton Patty to make a bot watch 400,000 hours of stand-up comedy and then write its own special. Uh, and they made a video of a bot doing stand-up comedy that <laughs> some of it's not too shabby. Really? It's like, it's it's only like three minutes. I wish they had done, they should have done like an entire 90, you know, yeah. stand-up special. But um, a lot of it is gibberish, but sometimes that gibberish sounds amazingly coherent ha all right link below if you want to check it out uh thanks everybody for watching and listening to this episode of the minmax show podcast we have party chat our patreon exclusive podcast again this week we talked about uh the big square enix sale everything that means i unpack my bachelor party all the highs and lows you can check that out if you're interested in that in the bonus podcast feed uh also the deepest dive is there um look it's a silly thing to do to spend this much time talking about and celebrating a game like Chrono Cross. But if you enjoy that kind of effort and that type of coverage that every other reasonable gaming outlet would consider and then say, well, that's stupid. There's no way we're going to do that. If you appreciate us going against the grain and trying to beat the system, uh, then you can help support it by spreading the word about the Chrono Cross Deepest Dive or by jumping in and unlocking the podcast version of it if you don't want to watch it all on YouTube. Um, also... Because so many of you supported us, and you're all very generous uh, over there on Patreon, we are streaming all of Chibi Robo with Jeff Cork and Sarah Podzorski this Saturday. Yes, Sarah? Yeah, this Saturday. That's right. Barring negative tests from everybody, we're going to jump in there and have a good time this Saturday. So follow us on Twitch and get ready for a long stream from the MinMax studio. It's going to be a good time. Uh... 
Jeff Cork and Sarah, you two feel there's a good overlap comedically between you two, and I know you've barely talked to each other. What, like on Better Quest? I think, I think you, you uh, well, on Better Quest yeah. you called in. Yeah, so maybe like sub two minutes of like <laughs> direct contact, like yep. verbally. Yep. And now this stream is going to be a little bit over two minutes. So give us a follow on Twitch. We'd appreciate <laughs> it if you want to support us on Patreon. Following us on Twitch is another very easy way to support us directly. So we appreciate that. And thank you to everybody who's at the fifty dollars tier, the game champion tier. We have new people who jumped in, and we are getting to the grand finale of the game championship. So everybody who supported us at the $50 tier so far was thrown into the hopper and we have a whole bracket going and we are getting down there. We're in the final phases of this whole thing. So it's going to be a big finale. So you can find that on Twitter to find out which game we're going to make content about with whoever championed it. Um, Silent Hill 2 is in the running. That one's up there. It's uh, Tetris Effect barely lost out, I believe, to Persona 5 Royal. So there's a lot of good competition happening there for the game championship but thank you to our new supporters who have chosen a game that they want us to champion or declare themselves the champion of s daily is the champion of fallout 4 choosing fallout 4 so we'll tweet out the fact that you are the champion of that this is what i love matt mini 2008 this you are what i love matt mini because matt mini has declared themselves the champion of nascar 2006 colon total team control Hell yeah. Love it. Uh, Jawar Hello chose, out of any game under the sun, Crash Bash. Officially the champion of Crash Bash. If you thought you were pretty good at Crash Bash back in the day, you were not! It was Jawar Hello the whole time. So congratulations to those game champions, and you can join the game champion tier by jumping into the $50 tier. We'd appreciate it over on Patreon. All right, that's it. Uh, anybody got anything exciting they want to plug or shout out or everything else to say? I'm so proud of everyone here. Really? And I'm honored, to, I'm honored to work with all of you. I think it's fun. I've been having it's fun podcasting fun. recently. This was great, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to do this again sometime, man? Yeah. As long as it's on a Wednesday. That's it. All right, everybody. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week. Be good, have fun. Let's go. Let's go.